Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali, and we have another packed house in here for you this week. We have seven participants in here, six plus myself. I'm going to go roll through them. Joining us once again, we have George Foster. What is up? We have Josh Torres. Like the power. We missed you two last week. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Missed you as well. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have Adam Vitali, who is here every week. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. Chow Min Wu. How's it going? And joining us this week for the first time is a newer contributor to the site, uh, Jess Reyes. Hey, nice to meet you. Um, I'm basically just another freelance writer. And in addition to RPG site, I also write for Looper, SVG, and IGN Guides. Nice to meet you. No, it's really cool to have you on. And we do have a few uh, contributors on site that have freelanced other places like uh, obviously, George is a news writer over at The Gamer. And if we have a few site alumni who've also written for IGN and Kotaku and other places. So it's really cool to have kind of that cross-linking show up in this podcast. That might be the most professional introduction that I, I've heard from anyone here. But it's okay. It, it's it pretty good. I, I dig it. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> Josh, Josh and I just legit. said, like, whatever we wanted to say. We're like, oh, what a... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hi, I'm Jess. I like games, just like everyone else here. Nice to meet you. <laughs> That's kind of how a Paige introduced herself when we had her oh, on the okay. podcast. Another, another one of our newer contributors. But yeah, so welcome to the podcast. And if anyone who is listening for the first time, welcome to the podcast to you as well. So it has been a crazy month of July. I know we're into August now, but we have been going through a whole bunch of new releases in the RPG and the RPG adjacent space. Uh, tip your cap to people like James who have been swamped with work and articles and they're not done yet as we go into a relatively quiet month of August. But looking back in terms of games we're finishing up from July, there's still plenty to talk about. Obviously, we talked about some newer releases last week, including Fuga, Melodies of Steel, and the f- finally the localization for The Great Ace Attorney. Another game that is a big topic for the site that released not too long ago, is the long-awaited sequel and follow-up to The World Ends With You, Neo, The World Ends With You. Now, we did talk about this briefly last week with uh, James having just starting it, having just started it, but obviously we wanted to revisit because I do know that George is really keen to talk about it. I believe Josh oh, has yeah. a few things to say. I know, I know right. Jess has also been playing with it, uh, and we'll also be able to hear some of James's more fuller thoughts now that he has progressed further through it. So uh, to start out, to what extent can we discuss Neo, the world ends with you concerning spoilers or no spoilers? Like, uh, do we, do we want to just open that door outright? Or do you think there's still plenty to talk about while skirting that line? I'm, I'm just thinking like where we calibrate. Yeah, I'd say I'd say I'd say first week is I'd say first week is is fine. Um, I I think anything like beyond because I know second week start things really start happening, uh, from there. But it's it's very very much on the side of caution because a lot of people still haven't you know completed it. There's still a lot of people that, you know, the the world ends with you crowd is very sensitive to spoilers of its nature, and that's just the nature of the game in general. Right. That's Uh, why I was being so cautious about it. Is that um. You also have to remember that there's a lot of people that maybe haven't even started the game yet because they might have picked it up or waiting to pick it up 
after they finish the great ace attorney well so. how about this well so we'll talk about the first week and then obviously we will have our timestamps for the podcast so for anyone who has not started the game yet they can skip to the next timestamp and revisit this once they're further along in the game does that sound okay first week is on the table yep. all right so obviously we heard a bunch of james's thoughts last week and just because i know him so well and i know he's so eager to talk about it <laughs> i'm going to kick this up. oh you know where i'm going with this huh yeah uh, I can figure. okay i'm going to hand it over to george to kick things off uh i know you have been waiting for this game for a long time and you weren't here last week to go over it take it away what do you what do you think about neo have you finished uh yes so i've finished it on the nintendo switch uh, i actually reviewed it over on nintendo insider for alex seed house oh, I, didn't uh, know that. I don't know if it's up yet but i ended up giving it a nine uh i like really really loved it the only problems i had with it were some like nintendo switch issues you know like it's a it's just a worse playing version of the ps5 version uh, and I'm running through that one now, so I'm going to like beat it on both consoles, maybe go for the Platinum. Uh, so you can probably tell that I like it quite a lot. Uh, so the original The World Ends With You was always something that I knew about, but I never like I never went for it because it was on the DS, and it just felt like, ah, oh, you know what, I, I can't be bothered. But um, yeah, I'm really showing my love for the game. But I, it, comes, it comes around, it comes around. Um, and then Neku showed up in Kingdom Hearts, so obviously <laughs> then I was really interested in The World Ends With You um and then when it came out on the switch i i was like oh you know what i love everything about this game except for the way it plays i hate the way it plays i hate the fact i have to sit like playing like on a tablet because otherwise i'm using motion controls god i hate this and i was like oh if they ever do a sequel like just take everything conceptual about it and i will you know like i will love it if you if you just make it play like an actual game which I think is something Cullen said in his review as well, then it will be like golden. It will be amazing. And they only went and did that. They went and did that. They have like an even more interesting story. They have even better visuals, even better music. Like it is just, it is a perfect sequel. I think, I don't think it's a perfect game. Uh, personally, I think week one's probably the weakest section of the game. I don't know if James would agree with me, but week two is where things get like really, really good. So Colin Black is the uh, RPG site writer who wrote our review for the game and also gave it a nine. That's who uh, George was referring to there. So did you play the original DS game back when it launched or after launch or with the Switch Remix version? Or like how long have you personally been waiting for a sequel? Honestly, not that long. I, got, I started playing the Switch version and then I got to like the end of the first week and I was like, nah, this just isn't for me. And then something, I don't know what made me do it, like pick it back up, but I went back, picked it up, then I ended up finishing it, and then they announced the sequel. So I was like, oh yeah, just in time. I can seem like I've been waiting ages for this. So really it hasn't been that long, uh, but it has felt like a really long time because the moment that they announced Neo, the World Ends With You, I was like, wow, this is exactly what I wanted. So yeah, not long at all, really, but I, I would still say I'm a pretty big fan. I'm especially a big fan of the sequel. Um, it is probably so far uh, my second favorite game of the year. Disco Elysium. Still. Wait, wait. I'm about, I'm about to say like I wasn't expecting second. I was totally expecting you to say that was your favorite game, and then second. Uh, oh, but yeah, Disco. Okay, like is one of the best ever. So I'm still, I'm still eating crow. I, th I thought you were gonna bounce off Disco Elysium so much. I know, I'm so proud <laughs> of how much I like that. Just like yeah. <laughs> 
Say that, Brian. I love this. I really, really like George's character development here. It's like I really showed it to them. I tried. <laughs> I proved to them that I can like a fucking fantastic game. Yeah. I enjoyed this game out of spite. Um, oh, let me yeah. just interject real quick about the. You know, actually, I played the DS and the Switch version, and honestly, the DS version it kind of is um, frantically uh, scratching at the uh, screen and then. Uh, trying to control your AI partner by mashing the buttons at the same time, kind of like rubbing your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. Mm. So that was it was kind of strange. And even the touch controls for the um for final remix and the motion controls for the TV. Uh honestly I thought they were a bit of an improvement. So it's good to hear that I, it well, is a lot better for Neo. <laughs> I I'll complete the triangle by saying that um I um I really, really liked the original um, The World Ends With Fuchs combat on the DS. Yeah, though I will say that um, my um, history with uh, World Ends With Fuchs is a bit different because I originally got it back when I was in middle school. I tried to play it and I bounced off of it because I just couldn't get into the combat system. Mm. It wasn't until I picked it back up again like a couple years later where I was able to break through and uh, really the whole thing kind of clicked for me. Um. I definitely understand when people say that the combat isn't for them or it just doesn't make sense to them. But um, part of the reason why I actually love uh, Neo so much is I feel like that the beat drop system is a pretty good um, translation of the puck system from uh, the original game, which is where you had to basically, well, you were forced to switch between you and your partner and whatnot. Yeah, and you touched upon that last week a little bit about how there's no way to cleanly translate that from a two-screen experience to the one-screen experience. And that's kind of how, in some ways, I know I think Adam felt this way when he's had a chance to talk about it in previous podcasts, that the remix Switch version of the original game feels, I don't know if compromise is too strong a word, but it feels like it's working like within some bounds that the game wasn't designed for, which is exactly what it is. But Neo ends up flourishing despite the limitations because it was designed for a single screen experience in mind. And you think that it adapts the idea of the puck passing system pretty damn perfectly. At least that was yeah. the impression I got from you last week when you read just, just started to sink your teeth into the game. Um, that's basically the same feelings I have now. I will say that I do think there are some issues that the game has with not really telegraphing attacks off the screen. Like, uh, particularly, there's these uh, wolf-type enemies that can oh, be a God. really oh, yeah. real pain in the ass because they have... So they have an attack that will pin one of your characters down, and you'll have to attack them in order to free your one of your um, characters. And they can do that attack from off-screen, which I would say if there's anything in Neo that it is legitimately, I'd say, bad game design, it's that. Yeah, that they do suck. But I, I would say, to go back to like you saying about how it captures like the concept of the puck passing thing, uh, only having seen the DS version, I like, I completely agree. Like, I feel like that is, it feels so much like a rhythm game at times. Like getting the beat drops and just swapping in between these pins. Uh, I think it's just really, really well done. Uh, but when it does do stuff like that with those wolves or Oh, that, that I hate those gecko things that turn invisible and then they can just hit you out of nowhere, but like your dodge roll is so bad that it just does nothing. Like I feel like 
it does falter sometimes like that, but you kind of forgive it for it. It's like, oh, it's so charming though. Like, I love these characters so much. I don't really care. Um, it's one of those like things too. That, it, yeah, it's one of those things that there will be certain enemy types in Neo that are particularly like troubling, but you do have counters around it if like if you uh, set up like certain pins and think about like certain contexts of situations. It's like okay, like there, there's no um, at least as you're progressing through the game, there's no like one pin format uh, fits all, and you're you're always gonna have to like make a compromise of like well my. My certain pin setup with these characters, they're really good at clearing the screen really fast. But if it's like a boss enemy, like it might have, it, they might have to take some time and really finesse that that certain boss, especially with what kinds of like resistances it may have or what kind of attack patterns it may have. You're always making trade offs and thinking mm-hmm. about like what's what's the what's the most optimal um, way I like to play and what are some of the sacrifices or the some of the concessions I have to make uh, with this kind of gameplay style because. There's enough variety in the enemy encounters that like you're just gonna have to accept. That's like okay, this is where my uh, my skill has to make up for, you know, the weaknesses of my of this pin setup that I I like. It's kind of hard to um talk about the story, but I will say that it's it manages to. Like, I'm the youngest here. Yeah, yeah, we joke about this all the time. I'm definitely the youngest here. Yeah, but it's like, as uh, as we drill into <laughs> our listeners. Week in and week out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that young, but I am the youngest here. Uh, and it does really accurately capture sort of like the language. Um, I th- I'm sure we all know that anyway, because we have Twitter. We all see like how most people talk, but it never feels forced. Like Cullen said it a lot as well, how Rindo will say stuff like, love that for you. And then Fret says <laughs> stuff like sucks. And it's like, it never feels wrong. Like I saw there's been this like, Twitter drama about localization, and I don't really know. There's always there the drama about that stupid anti-localization yeah, yeah. factions. So I mean, that's always a constant thing. Not really um, news. Oh, I love to hear that because I felt like I felt the same way when I was playing the original game back when I was a teenager. So I guess whoever's in charge of the localization still killing it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, it, it's it's really good. Both like uh, the original game. And the sequel to it, they're both period pieces uh, of like well, how people spoke uh, between the time that came out and how the the current time period this came out. So it's 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 really cool, like just visiting those games that are like that got localizations and their uh, the language that the characters use at that time were very of that time period. It's I I think it's personally cool, like revisiting those games and short and for this game, like you know when we're separated by ten to fifteen years from now, if you ever want to replay and go back and see like. How did people speak back then? And like this game, this is a game that really captures like you know modern teen spirit in a way, because you know I'm I'm I don't know how the kids speak these days. I learn about like <laughs> how like well, what's the new thing? Like when people say on God, I'm like, what the fuck does on God mean? But it's like, oh, and then uh, it reminds you when Adam was talking about uh, playing through Persona Four, which obviously also has a cast of teenagers. And they talk about like emailing each other. Like, who emails each other? Yeah, <laughs> that, was, uh, yeah. that actually caught me off guard when uh-huh. playing the PC version. Because it's, it's like very early Persona Four spoilers. It's the part when like Yukiko kind of stops appearing for a while, and Chie's like, "I kept emailing her, but she won't respond." And like, people did that. <laughs> I mean, uh, when you have to, yeah, when you have to tell, uh, uh, explain to people who like who are younger and play Yakuza Zero. It's like, what are pagers? I'm like, oh boy, okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> And it's just it's it's cool. It's funny, and I I, I agree with uh, George and uh, Jess that like both of these games, and, and especially Neo. Now, like I'm I'm very impressed 
the, the way that they made just simple dialogue feel natural and it flows and it's like they, these are very believable characters yeah. like it, you may not, you may not agree with the way they speak because that's just the way the younger generation speaks these days you may not agree with like how like you know what the terms are but that's just the way it goes mm. yeah um so two things i wanted to say one um neo is very clearly one of those cases where the well and this happens all the time these days Neo is definitely a case where the game was almost certainly greenlit for the West specifically, because even in Japan, it has the sub. The game has the subtitle "The World Ends with You." Um, you can even mm. see it like on the Japanese PSN. Like the uh, like image they have for the game is uh, the original Japanese title, and then it has "Neo: The World Ends with You" as a subtitle on the image and all that. And the original Japanese trailer from November of last year basically shows off some of the localization, use some of the localization stuff and uses a version of a, of a song that was written for the localization and whatnot. I guess to, to provide some context to that, to people who didn't know, the original uh, na- Japanese name for The World Ends With You over in Japan was Subarashiki Kono Sekai. And that's the, 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 the translation for that is definitely not The World Ends With You. Uh, over there, it's a it's a very uh, a famous phrase that like happens way 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 later on in the first game, uh, where things are happening, and uh, you, you'll see this phrase repeated throughout. You know the the residents and the the people that occupy that space. So it's very thematically still relevant. But just to provide context, like that was the world entity really was never the quote unquote original name. Yeah, yeah. James, isn't it you... something like um this wonderful world? Mm-hmm. Yes. James, what did you think of uh, the Golden Pig section of the game? This is like three or oh four boy. days into it. I hated it. You know, th- th- <laughs> it's funny because like I went into this game as Brian's mentioned. I went into this like, yeah, I'm gonna love this game. Like, that no doubt this is probably my game of the year. Uh, and for the first week, like after day two, I was like, I'm enjoying this, but I'm not loving it. Like, I'm almost not bored i was a bit frustrated with it i I can't tell why uh and then the game has you do this mission where you're purposefully chasing like a false lead you're trying to find these golden pigs uh and it just i was just like oh this is like really not exciting this is really not how i wanted this to go uh and then it follows it up with a mission a couple days later where you're basically playing hide and seek uh and that annoyed me as well and i was like oh my god do i not like this game like am i gonna like fizzle out and then one day later obviously i'm not gonna say anything that happened but just it finds itself again it finds itself it doesn't feel as formulaic it feels like it's still playing with the concepts but doing it well uh so i would say like if you feel a bit burnt out if you go why am i chasing golden pigs why am i doing the same sort of thing over and over it does change it gets like it gets so much better week two and three are like i hope this i hope this question makes sense but when you say it finally like finds itself are you saying like it follows up on this First of all, I've not played this game. So when you say, like, I only can go by the way you've described it. So I'm like, all right, there's golden pigs in this game somewhere <laughs> uh, and a hide and seek game. But like, does it end, does it end up just like dropping those those threads and going on to something more interesting? Or well, does it like wrap them into some new idea where it ends up using like, oh, that's why it was doing that? Well, they weren't the really sense? the way that the game structure works is that um, so you've heard us say that there's weeks in the game and basically instead of having specific chapters, which I guess it kind of still does. Um, the framework of the game is that you're literally playing something called the Reapers game. 
inside of Shibuya, and every day there's a different sort of goal in mind. So the goal changes each day, and the goal usually doesn't tie into the plot. It does more later on, but for week one, it's basically just standard, like, game nonsense. Like game of the week or something like that? Like, Yeah. Yeah. On this day, you've got to play hide and seek. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like, oh. Exactly. So saying, like, hide and seek is just, well, it is literally that, but, like, there's a reason for it. Uh, and I feel like, I guess the difference is that from the end of week one, mysteries start getting answered but more interesting mysteries come up so it's like instead of just okay i'm doing this to you know just do it i guess you're like okay i'm doing this because i want to find out what happens here so instead of it like changing gameplay wise you're still kind of doing the same stuff over and over uh but you've got better reasons to do it uh and i can't talk about it obviously i really want to it sounds it so- yeah i know you guys have to be like really careful about like what you what you give away and what okay. you don't but it sounds like it really kind of like ramps up in a yes. smart yeah. way yeah very much yeah so not speaking about anything spoiler related specifically um i feel like probably one of my biggest issues with the game kind of comes along the lines of uh, if you want to do a 100% playthrough it's a very much pain in the ass mm-hmm. specifically because one of the characters in your party nagi has an ability called dive that lets you dive into the thoughts and hearts of uh of um npcs that have been infected by noise and you'll usually have a couple of those per chapter sometimes you won't have any sometimes you'll have three sometimes basically it depends based off the day and it's timed and basically the quicker you um clear the dive the um better rank you get and the better the rank you get the more fp you get which i forget what fp oh friendship points that's right um and if you want to go for 100 percent, there are some of those dives that you won't be able to find until the very end of an end game day which means that if you messed up and you didn't get the best rating you need to go through and redo that day from the very beginning and that uh, is actually kind of bad I, I, uh, now when you say 100 percent, is that like are there this is going to sound really silly but are there like achievements trophies well switch yes. version wouldn't even have those no. Uh, but okay. The, the switch. The or, is, switch oh, I was wondering, or is it more yeah. like, yeah, or is it more like an in-game reward? Like I know a lot of these games have like an in-game equivalent it's kinda, where it's like you got all you get all these medals yeah. or whatever. There is actually a cool like um way that the game does show the trophies in game. Mm, yeah. Um. Basically, every time you unlock a trophy or an achievement, I guess for Switch, you'll get access to a piece of graffiti art that you can put on this wall in the settings menu and it's actually really neat because um eventually you get access to an area and this again this is first week so it's not a big deal the udogawa backstreets and there is a strip of wall that is literally the in-game representation of the graffiti wall in the settings menu so i kind of like that when they sometimes when achievements are just literally like a floater in the ui it feels kind of like very artificial like oh i did a thing time to clap myself on the back or whatever but Mm -hmm. when they put it in when they integrate it into the game in some small way even like that whether it's like cosmetics or something that you that has a visual representation in the game generally i enjoy that yeah to to go off james's point where it was like uh i haven't 
I didn't 100% the Switch version by far. Like I hadn't, I wasn't trying to do that. And then with the PS5 run I'm doing now, I was kind of aiming to. I was like, yeah, see how far I can get. But I've already got to the point where a few of those have turned from gold to silver. Some of those like uh, noise dives. So <laughs> I don't know. Like that does sound sound kind of annoying. And there's already kind of like a lot of grinding. I find like. Though I think I was on day five of the first week and it said, oh, the recommended level to do this dive is 25 and you're level 19. I was like, what? Like, I've been doing all the side content up till now. Like, what do you expect? Like, that's a story thing as well. So, well, I don't know. Yeah. I might say next week, like, this game sucks. I hate it. I hate 100% in it. I doubt it. Okay. No, I doubt it. Yeah, I, I doubt it as well. But I, I really feel bad to be, like, to keep harping on. It's like, I really love this game, but man, it has a lot of issues. Uh I think the most glaring issue, and I, I, I feel like George will probably agree with me, is um, scramble slams. Interesting idea on paper. In practice, worst parts of the game. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I, what I is a scramble say, slam? I was going to say, like, thank you guys for asking, because, like, all right, I need some context. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about it, or should I, uh, George? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll go for it. Why not? Uh, so scramble slams, they happen once a week, so you've got it is just three of them, isn't it, James? Like, I, I believe yeah, it's once a week. Thank God. Yeah, thank oh, God. No. Um, there's two in the second week and none in the third week. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. So there's three of them overall. Um, and when you get told about it the first time, it's like, oh, cool. This is like a cool, like, one off day thing. And it really just doesn't, like, equate to anything. All you do is run around the map and, like, kill noise to capture areas. But, like, there's no, there's no competitive nature to it. It is still just a story mission where you're doing it. Uh, but then it happens the second time, it really slows the momentum down on the second time as well, because something really cool has just happened. You're like, yeah, come on, this game's picking up. And then it's like, okay, it's Scramble Slam time again. And it's like, oh, so this day is going to be like nothing but killing noise. There's going to be no That's oversimplifying like why they're there, right? Because there's a reason why they're there. And uh, that like the, the glare over that is kind of like a disservice to like the mechanic of like why the why the game designers put it in this so the scramble slams as you said is like a the, there are territories around shibuya there, there are certain areas as you progress to the game you go to a new zone and whatnot unlike the first game in the world's end ends with you where you have partners like a you work as a duo to uh you know uh, kill noise and whatnot in this in this game you're actually part of like a group of faction you have there's more than two people involved in battles you can have like you know usually standard up to four and then uh, so on uh, with more characters getting involved and whatnot so it's actually in neo you're actually going it's like faction versus faction you're you're like the wicked twisters and then there are other factions like the ruin bringers and i forgot the other faction names but uh how, how it culminates at least in the first week is that okay? We're we're almost to this uh, f- final day of this first week uh, before things happen and whatnot, and uh, to to settle this, every everyone has been trying to accumulate points to make sure they don't get that they're not in last place before the week ends. And um, how they try to resolve this is this whole capture system where your each remaining faction of that week is trying to uh, control territory. And whoever gets the most like territory uh, points is uh, they'll accumulate points based on their ranking out of that scramble slam. So scramble slams are essentially you either uh, eliminate the all the the presence of the current faction group in a certain Shibuya zone, or if it's a neutral zone that no one has claimed yet, you just get all the neutral noise, which are the enemies of the game, and then uh, you get control of that area. 
So there, it's not just as simplistic as like, okay, it's just there for, it's it's not it's there's a reason why Scrabble yeah. signs happen, not not necessarily so, because it's just there. Okay, so admittedly, that is like kind of brushing over. You just don't you just don't think it sounds fun or? It's just I, I don't know. It, I I just felt like by the time you done the first one, the second one didn't really introduce anything new. You were just doing the same thing but with a bit more area, and then the third one did that as well. So I was just like, I wouldn't call them the worst part of the game. I'd just say they're just okay. You know, they're just yeah, like, a oh, bit of a PC. Kind of Yeah, there's a whole ranking system because, like, it, since you're accumulating points, there's a score attack uh, nature to it where, oh, if you get, like, this many points, you'll get this, like, bronze reward. If you get this many points, you'll get a silver reward, and then this many points, you'll get, like, this grand prize um, gold reward. And the way you accumulate points is... Uh, sort of tedious because there's a, a system in the game where you can chain uh, link battles and like as you progress those battles you'll accumulate more and more bonuses and score multipliers to it so it's just kind of you're, you're you're what you're actually doing is very rep- repetitive and tedious in nature mm. uh, for that certain part of the game yeah I, I just think for it's really I would say that Neo the world ends of you is split into two bits of gameplay um one is the combat and then the other is puzzles and exploring and then usually most days have a good balance of the two but i feel like with scramble slam it just becomes just combat and i really enjoy the game's combat in fact i'd say it's one of the highlights like swapping pins and figuring out how to make your team like work the best together that's awesome but when it is just non-stop you just go "Eh, okay yeah, I think the main problem with the Scramble Slams really comes to head if you're trying to go for the highest rankings. It's not so bad on the final Scramble Slam, which I'm, again, not going to talk about anything story-wise about it, but the last one, I feel like it wasn't that bad to get mm. the highest score. It's the shorter as well, though, if I remember. Yeah, the second one, though, oh my god, you basically need to have like a chain battle of at least like 10 noise every time you <laughs> want to get one of those specific noise if you want to get enough points in order to get it, because it's like almost 10 times as many points as you need for the first one. It's just like, oh my god, just kill me now. Yeah, it's just, it, it seems, mm. uh, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, they'll, maybe they'll add some patches along the way to either reduce the requirements or like make it easier to like get points who knows but you know, and again that's required for 100 percent too because yeah. the highest reward you get uh. for any of the scramble slams is a is a unique pin so yeah so that's the only way you can get those pins that makes me yeah. want to cry that is this is putting me off 100 near the world of you so if you've you just, you played through the Switch version, you yep. experience all the story and all the twists, all the things we're deliberately avoiding in this yep. podcast because it is such an integral part of the of this game, and yet you still decided to uh, play it again. And pretty much as far as I can tell, immediately after finishing it the first time <laughs> on a different console. First of all, I can say like uh, I have never, I don't think I've ever done that except like I'm I'm sure there's been a few like late PC ports, like a Final Fantasy game that shows up on PC a decade later. Like okay, I'll replay through it, but I don't think I've ever played a game like within the same year, back to back on two different systems. So why, like, <laughs> why? why did you do that? <laughs> like, uh, I just, just put it into words to me. Like you finish the game, you see the credits and you want to just like say, I- I'm going to go again. One, I guess like the, the barest part of me is I like trophies. Unfortunately, Nintendo doesn't have that. <laughs> so I like having that stamp there. That's no, like, you know, I, I appreciate the honesty. Uh, and then second of all, like I said, when I reviewed it, it's 
the the switch version is fine like it does you can play it top to bottom but it is like the loading times are longer you it has like lag in between like entering an area and a conversation starting uh and i just said to myself after i was like look i i really really like this game like it really hit me it's a game that has like a lot of loading segments too like when you're when you're going between zones or you're going through a battle it like the loading like Loading segments are so frequent in this game that like having it extend any further out, I can only imagine like the it's very frustrating. Yeah, uh, it people was... are very impatient playing the Switch version. It's just like, all right, it's been I don't know how long the, the Switch loading times are. I just know they, but people have been complaining. It's here about and there. five seconds. Uh, oh man, and that, it, that, that's like, even bad. that doesn't sound bad. But then like when you're like like Josh says, when you're combining that, when you're trying to get from one end of the map to the other. Uh, oh god, I remember the other day. I, I was doing one of the side missions on the PS5 version, and I was like, oh, I have to go up like uh, four areas to get to where the side mission is. And I was like, if this was on Switch, this is like two or three minutes just to get back there, just because of the loading times. Uh, and I was like, oh, thank god I'm not doing that now. Because on PS5, it's basically instant. Uh, so it was just like, do a service to the game. You know, I don't have to watch all the cutscenes again. I'll watch all like, the, the cool moments. Uh, but I can just experience a gameplay in its best form, uh, and I can. I'm happy to say, like, yeah, it's like even better game on a console. George, I have a, I have a question. Yeah. Um, about your replay, and I know you just said maybe you on the second playthrough you can skip cutscenes, but the first the world ends with you. The storyline stuff does get maybe a little bit complex and convoluted in places mm. in terms of who's doing what, like allegiances motivations mixing these things is replaying the game useful in that sense like now that you know where it's going and what happens maybe just seeing like the early parts of the game again now knowing like where they're going to lead maybe like giving you a new like like oh that's why this character is doing this or they're you know any sort of like you get what i'm saying yeah yeah playing is, is that like valuable at all in terms of why you're another reason to replay it i would say there are two there are, oh, okay yeah okay now i'm thinking about I, I, it. don't I'm thinking I, there are like territory here but no no of course but to see but, like to see how like the game sets itself up to two events now that you know what's going to happen yeah yeah like there are a few specific story beats uh again i'm not even going to say them because then people go oh does that carry on but there are at least there are at least five off the top of my head that you can follow and go oh okay there you go that's why you're like that that's what this is leading to uh, I wouldn't say it's convoluted until the final week, and then it's kind of like there are a few things where I was like, okay, how is that happening? Like, is, are they going to explain that? And then they do, but I I haven't got to there's the point still where a few things. Like, yeah, there's, yeah. There's still a few things in the final week where it's like, okay, well, you sure explained how that happened, but you <laughs> yeah, yeah, how that happened exactly, yeah. Uh, and I don't think a replay will really fix that. I think those issues are just you know writing issues but i would say a replay i wouldn't say it's necessary at all like if you've finished it you know you're, you're probably done with it but if you're if you do end up replaying it you'll probably see a little few nods and a few moments of like wait do they know uh so i won't say anymore but yeah definitely worth it yeah um so i guess like george so george and james have completed it i'm like at the start of week two and then just just got it like barely yeah. yesterday after this recording so hopefully yeah, you so didn't thank like, you for being, yeah, don't, yeah don't, thank you for uh, being careful and tiptoeing around so many lines i think you did a good job collectively yeah. i'm gonna try to get back to this here i'm gonna try my best but um i had an unfortunate thing happen to me last week that uh i couldn't make the podcast episode last week 
Um, and it, unfortunately, this is um, this is going to be tied into my experience with uh, the Neo and the World Ends with You. So you know, I was I was playing the game, getting through it. I, I enjoyed it a lot, and I enjoyed our discussion here. It's just now one of those games because I was playing through it, and then on t- it was around Tuesday night, and I got a phone call, and you know, life happens, and you know, I had a relative of mine be admitted to the hospital that night. And then, you know, the, the things happened throughout the week. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they, they were diagnosed with cancer. Uh, fortunately, they are treatable. They, they can be saved. And I've, I'm very thankful to the doctors and uh, who are, you know, treating him and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it, it'll get sorted out uh, as the weeks go by with surgery and whatnot. So there's, you know, but unfortunately now since i since i got that phone call and like during that time period where there was a lot of uncertainty of like what is the extent of this uh cancer has it spread anywhere where like you know it couldn't it would make more complications down the road and whatnot because that uh, i was playing neo the world ends with you um during that time i always associate that game with like that moment of like dread of like Oh my God! What's happening? I was like in shock, speechless, and whatnot uh, when I was uh, sp- speaking to that relative, and like you know, kind of. And, and after after I spoke with that relative, I went to go. You know, my sister and I spoke like uh, lengthy on the phone and whatnot. I'm like, what do we do? So it's just, I, it, it's hard to explain into words until like you've actually like, you know, I, I don't wish anyone to go through it to be honest, but. You know, there are many people in my in my position where, like, uh, I spoke with a friend who, like, you know, went through a similar situation years ago, where he um, got a phone call about a similar situation with a family relative, and he was at a time he was running a business business where he was washing animals and treating them and whatnot, and he was so like sort of traumatized by that event, um, where you know bad things happened on his hand while he was doing this activity that he. He closed his business down, you know, and he and like he hasn't really owned a pet since then because, like, he always associated that certain moment with that, did those actions with that portion of his life. And I'm kind of in a, in a weird similar situation. Uh, for uh, like, you know, for me it's just a video game. For him, it was a business and like caring for animals, you know. So obviously, the our situations are like light years apart in terms of like, you know, what's what's really important. But for me, like, I now I have to try to get through the world ends with you trying to sort out my feelings about that and it's it's a hard obstacle to like mentally mm. you know get over because it's like not, because how my mind processes like if i play this again maybe something bad will happen again and i'm like really really scared about that yeah which is irrational when you think about it in hindsight but obviously in the moment like that's not how our brains work we, we make those associations rational or otherwise um go ahead adam I actually do have a similar sort of like real world, you know, association with uh, the visual novel 999. And it's, that might be why I haven't played like VLR. Oh, interesting. Because I associate, yeah, yeah. you know, like a real life thing with that game, even though it's not connected other than it just happened to happen at the same time I was playing it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from in terms of why you feel that way and what it, how it like, Going about it can be just weird and tricky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you know that uh, that's also the reason you know just explain to the, our audience like you know why I wasn't here last week. Obviously, you know, and fam- family things are afoot. Everything stops, and you know, being there for the family and 
you know, working through it all. So, you know, I'm happy to be back. Thanks for having me back. Um, it's just it's one of those things. And obviously, we uh, collectively wish him the best of health, you know, yeah, going forward. Mm -hmm. It's not yeah. the same way out you, Josh. <laughs> it wasn't. And we actually, uh, <laughs> putting this is going to be a weird break, but one thing that we were eager to talk about last week, but we knew that you would have the most enlightening things to say about it was uh, a release last week that we deliberately put off for this week so that hopefully you could be present. Yeah. You know where I'm going with this. Uh oh. <laughs> uh, this is uh, a the new Nier title that released a little over a week ago. This is for Nier Reincarnation. Um, so it, it, there is a, there's, there's truth to that, though. I really wanted Josh to be here when uh, we talk about this game. So this is a, a mobile game set in the, you know, in the Nier Mythos universe, whatever you want to call it. And my personal stake in this is that I have enjoyed... I, um, I haven't played the whole quote-unquote Taroverse, but I have played Near Automata as my first game, and then I played the Replicant remaster earlier this year. And I enjoyed those games enough that I have made Near Reincarnation my gateway into the world of Gotcha because oh. I guess the, the IP was strong enough and I was invested enough. Like, all right, I didn't want to be that person. We, we talk about like games we played 15 years ago. I, I think about like, this is going to, this is going to sound weird, but I hope it substantiates it a little bit where like I was playing the Xenosaga series and it's like, oh, you won't understand this stuff unless you've played the Pied Piper mobile game or Kingdom Hearts. We talked about that uh, where you won't understand this until you've played the coded mobile game which eventually came to other systems but i didn't want to be in this place where there's like the near series continues and it's like oh you're not going to understand this you're not going to get the full experience if you don't dip your toes into near reincarnation That's like, and then you know, also uh, when when like future marvel movies and the big screen going forward it's like oh you're not going to understand this if you don't watch all these disney plus marvel shows that came out yeah you, you don't watch yeah, this true. six part winter soldier falcon falcon and the Winter. i don't even know i don't watch marvel <laughs> if you yeah. uh i do have a few thoughts on the game myself but i do want to let uh Josh, as for, and you, you're much more invested in the Taroverse than I am. You are, you know, you know the details of the Dragon Guard series, of the stage plays, of the Grimoire near. You kind of, I, I, I think of you as kind of like a pillar for <laughs> being knowledgeable on this sort of thing. So, what do you think so far about uh about near reincarnation? It's a really fascinating title. I don't, I don't know if I would call it good to the general audience. It's good to people who like the IP, like we we're talking about. But for like, um. If anyone wants this to be a gateway to like the Dragon Guard near Taro thing, whatever, I don't recommend this be your gateway because well, it's a mobile gacha game and it it makes the most of being a mobile gacha game. Um, so just stepping back, the premise of this is very simple on its face, where you you wake up as this little girl and you don't know her name. It's just oh, it's the girl. And you are aided you by uh, a little simple creature. It kind of looks like a ghost. It's like a little being with a white cloth draped over two holes, and it's just it's just floating by you. It looks like a ghost, and her her name is Mama, or its name is Mama. You you know you don't know. And you're guided uh, along this uh, pathway. These pathways called the cage, and the cage is like just a a series of like ruined pathways. That, uh, that can exhibit different environments. Like what one floor of the cage might be a desert environment, one floor of the cage might be a snowy environment, but they're always linear pathways. And how this game uh, is presented in its main story is you're walking to these scarecrows 
these dark scarecrows, and the little girl dives into those scarecrows, and it presents a little uh, nugget of story, and these nuggets of stories are uh, are weapon stories, as uh, people may know from the Drakengard games or the Nier games. Uh, every weapon in those games have stories, and they're divided into four stages. So as you level up those weapons, you'll gain like a little new bit of info about like the backstory of those weapons, and that's a little. And for fans of those series, like that's like kind of a, a significant part of like why they like those games because there's always like a story behind like simple things like that. Because oh, like this spear here, um, it's like okay, this is a cool spear. I really like it. It's like I wonder what what, what was the sport backstory behind this uh, spear. It's like really tragic. Like oh, it's it was by the owner. The owner was like this dad of an orphan child and. You know, this dad did everything for this, uh, or the, this caretaker for this orphan child uh, did everything they could, but but this orphan child had a disease. It's like the weapon story is just like, oh, this is this is really yeah, depressing. It, it, it's, it's it's not a spoiler to say that almost all of these short stories are poignant in some way. They're not all depressing, but sometimes, usually by so they're the like Josh said, they're broken up into four segments. Usually, like the first two are kind of just setting up like who you're talking about, what their, what their setting is. And then usually like parts three and four will kind of twist it in some way where it's like, here's a piece of context you were missing that has everything else click into place. And usually it's something that ends up being quite sad or at least quite thought provoking. Um, it's been quite an experience where you can sign up, you can you sort of see a few places where the stories tie together. But then there's some places where it's not quite clear yet, and I don't know if it's because they're not supposed to be or because it's going to be uh, established later, but it's I'm enjoying it a fair bit, but I've, I've actually been enjoying more just, this is going to sound really dumb to people who have played, who have been in this suit for a while, but I've just been more enjoying, like, how do gotcha games work? Like, what do I do with this? <laughs> like, the exploratory phase. Yeah, so, and I've actually, this might sound a bit mean but i've actually kind of enjoyed that more than the game itself the game itself oh, i actually i'm sorry but it's it's a little bit boring if it didn't uh -huh. play itself so effectively i probably <laughs> wouldn't have stuck stuck with it so you do these uh you have like these story beats that are part of the main story quote unquote where you you direct this child this nameless kid through this cage and you see these as you go through each chapter, it gives you like these little windows into these other characters and the um the hardship that they had and the you know what their history is. And then you basically you play once you see those stories once, there's a few like if you do them again on hard mode, you get a little bit of extra story, or then you get like the character stories where it has a little bit of extra extra where it it ends up being like narrated in first person by that character instead. So you end up seeing like a couple different viewpoints, a couple different projections of like this, at least the, maybe not the same story, but tethered together. But then yeah, at that, that point, once you, once you see everything once, you end up just kind of playing accountant where you're just like, do I have enough? You have like six different currencies or more where it's like, do I have enough gold? Do I have enough? Are my weapons strong enough? Are my characters strong enough? Are my skills strong enough? Do I have enough gems to do another pull for more characters so I can get like, uh, you know, strong enough to do the hard mode version to get the newer stories? Do I have enough tickets to trade for X other things? And you just end up kind of playing like, I almost feel like I need to open up a spreadsheet and be like, all right, what can I do each day to, to maximize my, uh, my return on this currency or that currency? And at that point, that's kind of when I end up like glazing, my eyes kind of glaze over a bit. Or like, all right, I've, 
I don't know how much further I want to go with this, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. I actually uh, have it. I actually have it auto battling on my phone next uh, to me as we do this podcast. So I'm not. I haven't turned away completely yet, but it's. Uh, he's into it. it. Is, well, like I said, it's playing itself right now. I'm doing the. Uh, Mm-hmm. This, is, this is this is kind of exactly like what story <laughs> uh-huh. this is uh-huh. i'm doing the uh the summer event uh-huh. where they th- of course like any other game they have a they have a version where it's the, these are the these are four characters that the main story introduces you to only now they're in swimsuits but in the near style it like attaches a sad story to them like this the summer <laughs> event story is a four-part story where people die oh, that's the, 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 the sound familiar uh chow does this sound familiar to you at all? It always does. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian kind of gave a very big, like, you know, s- scope about like, what this game is. Like, it's definitely a gotcha game. There are a lot of currencies. There's, I think there are more than six, to be honest. But it yeah, is just, just, about it. Yeah, like when you think about, like, the event shops and then the... It's, it's a whole thing. So... As you're diving into these weapon stories uh, very early on, and after you do like the final stage four weapon story, you ascend to the next floor of the cage, and then you do this environment, and you kind of do the same thing. And like these introductory chapters, like the first six chapters, um, it's all about finding out like who this little girl is, and because she's lost her memory, she doesn't know who she is. And every time she completes these weapon stories. Uh, a, a fragment of her is re- like returned. Like she remembers, like oh, she gains like will, she gains hope, she gain- regains anger. In typical near fashion, it's you know more complicated than what it presents at first. And I think that's where the story starts really kicking off after chapter six, once you start um, progressing through like a new context. And you're still going through weapon stories after that, uh, and uh, under a new context of like what, like what are you working towards? It's interesting because this game originally released in February uh, of this year in Japan, and in the original Japanese launch, it launched with six chapters, uh, which is like kind of like the quote-unquote first arc of it. Uh, in global, we launched with nine story chapters, uh, with the chapter ten releasing just like in three days and whatnot. So they have uh, obviously we're trying to catch up to the the Japan server it looks like uh, very blatantly and uh J- the japanese servers at 12 story chapters so we're getting there uh the unfortunate part of like accelerating this content now is we're getting things at a very rapid pace so just like in japan this a lot of the near automata crossover and that means that um we get the event uh the, the near automata crossover event is really funny because it like the events in this game are just like a series of story, cha- uh, uh, a series of stages uh, in normal, hard, and very hard difficulties. In no- in normal, once you complete all the normal stages, you know you'll get like the full story of that crossover event, and the st- and the story of the near automata crossover event is like very big spoilers about like well, like the end, like kind of the true nature of like that game of like what's going on. It literally distills near automata down into like I guess. The, the Nier Automata crossover event in Nier Reincarnation basically distills that game down into like two, three minutes of cutscenes, like at its pure essence. Like it spoils everything in as like efficient of a way as possible. It's basically the premise of the game yeah. led, laid bare. So yeah. uh, don't, uh, I, I, yeah, if you're in like that tiny sliver of people that's interested in Nier Reincarnation and also interested in Nier Automata and haven't played that, 
don't do it. Yeah, I, 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 like if you're gonna do it, at least skip the story cutscenes to like maybe revisit later after you're finished Automata or something. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So and then like you know these events, you're uh, you're used. You're basically you have this event shop with like a lot of useful materials to like upgrading your characters, events at your level, their skill levels, ascending, evolving them, and their weapons and whatnot. So it's both characters and weapon progression that you have to worry about separately. And of course, this game has like an element system where like fire, wind, and water, they all have their own, like they're strong against one element, weak against another element. There's just a separate one between dark and light. So all the gotcha game trappings uh, are there when it, comes, when it comes to progression and whatnot, and how hard the materials can uh, become. Can, like there are certain materials, obviously, that are harder to come by that you have to grind for in your dailies and certain missions and so forth. So it, uh, we launched with that, and now since we're accelerating content to try and like catch up to the Japanese version, like within like over a week, maybe like in like ten days after it launched, it launched with another event now, which uh, Brian mentioned, like the summer event. The summer event just happened at the Japanese server maybe like a month or so ago, and since we're like in this appropriate time period during summer, you know, they wanted to like get that out the door as well. So people who are coming into it now, they still have like. These are both limited time events that will end on like September 3rd, so there's still a hefty amount of time to do it. But it, I imagine it already feels overwhelming to like maybe new, very new players. It's like there's always going to be always something to do in this game, which is kind of a strength of it. But at the same time, it's just like, oh my gosh, there's like three limited ba- banners already and all these characters are only going to be here for a limited time. And it's like they give you a lot of currency up front like in any gacha game. And then um uh, once you expend those uh you know i think that's a problem with like accelerated pacing it's really bad for the free-to-play players you have no time to save any of the currency and you basically need to whale yeah the, the the one strength about like the gotcha system in this game which is a very weird sentence to say um is they give you enough currency off the bat like from the celebratory like login bonuses of like the global server opening and then as you're doing story progression through the difficulties and all the gems and rewards from the events and whatnot they actually give you enough currency to hit pity two times so what that means is that at the worst case scenario if you don't get any of these uh limited time characters um they'll every time you roll whether it's one time or ten time or a ten roll you'll get the these shards and these shards uh can you can exchange them for the actual characters outright and buy them from a separate store and the pity for this game is 200 so you quote, quote unquote only have to roll uh like you know a 10 roll 20 times uh to reach pity on this and get those characters from the shop which is one of the more um forgiving pity systems uh, relative to other gacha games when you're comparing it to something like actually Genshin Impact is okay, but the way the rate you get currency is kind of uh, but if, like if something like Fake Grand Order, which is really really punishing on pity, Grand Blue is still pretty good on pity because of the way they uh, give out currency and whatnot. But there are many other gacha games out there that have way uh, less forgiving uh, pity um, rates and whatnot. So that's actually a and, uh... of the game. Yeah, and for anyone who is kind of in a boat similar to me who doesn't like, uh, I, I don't, I'm not interested in gotcha game, but I'm interested in near, or I haven't played a lot of gotcha. It's 
uh, like I was able through my 20 rolls to get 9s and then I used pity on 2b. So I just I got the you know, I got the two that I wanted really. And then I probably have enough where the game gives you enough free currency where I could get really close to pitying for a2 if I wanted her. So I could complete that trifecta. But the thing is, is that like I have never even come close to if anyone's worried about this, I'll just state state it bare. I've never really come close to being tempted to spend money. And I'm actually going pretty hardcore in terms of like trying out hard modes and very hard modes. And I'm actually able to do now some of the the dark shadow events. But the the harder you get in terms like the difficulty and how much grind you have to do, the less and less story is appended to this to those bits. Um, so if you're only interested in saying like, I only, I only want to see the cutscenes. I don't want to get into the treadmill of currencies and playing accountant. You don't really have to, if you're stay, if you stick to normal mode, I have a feeling that you don't really need to grind that much. It's just there. If you like if the game gives enough free currency at you that if you, if you end up enjoying the game enough that you do want to tear up your characters and your weapons and all the other ways you can, uh, kit out your team, you can, but if you're only interested in the short stories and the cutscenes and kind of experiencing that, I do think it's pretty easy. It's a pretty low hurdle to get to that stuff. If that's all you're interested in. It, it is. It, there's definitely like a long-term sort of like, it's a marathon, not a sprint when it comes to progression, because like character progression is get, gets slow when like, it, when you start getting like your main parties up to snuff and like the thinking about like what your three party members should be and whatnot and think uh, advantage, like elemental uh, affinities and so forth. But the, I, I hesitate to say hesitate to say cool, but interesting part of like how we talk about the stories and how near subverts like you know what it initially says on the surface. So let's like take for example, I think his name is Olaf. Olaf is uh, this character who's uh, who climbs uh, the uh, he's a mountain climber and he has a a wife and a, and a child. And in his uh, story, in the main story, I won't spoil what happens, but. He's character characterized as a, a family it's, man. It's Argo. 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 Sorry, I don't know why I call him Olaf, but it's Argo. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a, he looks like an Olaf. <laughs> um, he's uh, he, yeah, he's character family man, and his, his his story is like very simple, right? Because you're just kind of going through. He's trying to climb this mountain because he wants it as a personal achievement. He has his pride on the line, um, and whatnot. And he already told, told us, "I'm going to come back home." And you know, uh, and whatnot. So you uh, let let me uh, get, go out of the way and say that the way that these stories are presented is very cool. So once you enter these dark scarecrows uh, from this three uh, D overworld, um, you're like they're presented as like uh, like fairy tale uh, fairy tales where it's kind of like a book, and like it's uh, done as a horizontal vignette uh, where like everything's kind of silhouetted, but as you're moving left to right. Through just through this simple story beat, like there's like a uh, narration um, being said of like what you're doing and like the things that you encounter, and there might be like a story battle that's very easy to get through, and um, but it's just very simple narration. So in his uh, the main story characterizes him as a family man, and like, and then you'll as you um, increase his rank, and rank is like another sort of like thing you accrue. By taking this uh, character to battle, and you're unlock- unlocking like these rank stages to do his character quests. So let's say rank rank ten is the max rank, and you so that means reaching uh, max rank ten with um, Argo, you can now play through his entire character quest. All the stages are unlocked because all the ranks are there, and ranks also give passive stats as well. On top of that, so 
after you complete his character quest, there's a it'll tell another portion of his life and what he's been through, and you you might think of all uh, our I want to say Olaf again, uh, Argo as like oh maybe he's not like the family man that I thought he was, you know, like now that you're you're given more context about like this character, now there's a third layer on top of that, and you were getting this the the dark dark memory quest. Um, after you complete a, a chapter in hard mode, which is unlocked after a certain point in the main story, you um, there are these powered up versions of like the story characters. It's a little bit like the Eternals in Grand Blue, where you can obtain these characters, and they're very very good characters. But the grind to get them is very um, intensive because of the way the, the the mats are doled out and what you have to do. It's it's a whole. It's a whole system, but those dark memory quests for those characters also provide another different um, set of events that tell a certain part of this person's life from another perspective. And it's like, and it really challenges like, oh, what I really, what I thought this person was before was totally off the mark now that I received more context. About yeah, and uh, I kind of glossed over it, but the main thing that the way the game accomplishes this is by during that second viewpoint of the character, it switches from being like a an omniscient narrator to being first person. And that's usually, and I'm, I'm not sure in every single character's case, it's how it does it, but it's like you have the narrator's perspective about like two of the stories are about a husband and a wife, and it's like the husband did this, the wife did this, and then eventually going to the characters where it's their individual perspective about how they think of the other person, and it's, it can be it can be somewhat different. So, and that's sort of something that the nearverse has kind of always played with. So I'm not surprised. Um, and then there is usually a common theming where the I, mean, I I haven't pulled at all these threads in my brain yet, but the the main main location is called the cage. There are some stories that are specifically about prisoners, either like deliberately they're in shackles or in prison, or prisoners to other to their expectations or prisoners to their upbringing. So it seems to be kind of like the connective tissue here. It fits for some characters better than others, but usually that's sort of like what these stories have in common. Some of them literally tie into each other into like what happens to who and why, but even if they don't tie into each other deliberately like that, they'll at least tie with, with that similar sort of theming around them. So if that's the sort of stuff you're interested in, the, the game is still really enjoyable there. It's just right now, at least in the global version, there's just not much, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, there's still, like, there are definitely long-term goals to go for, but, you know, it, we'll get more content as, you know, the, as the game continues to live on as a games as a service um it's it's an interesting product i've uh, i think the visuals are uh, unfortunately this game is very uh, demanding visual like you know in terms of like technical spec like i have a, a one plus eight phone or whatever and like it handles it on best settings pretty well but for other people who have like uh, either playing it on like an emulator or you know a, a much weaker phone uh it's tough because like this game is very demanding so there was a lot of crashing issues for a lot of people like in the first week or so, might be still ongoing, um, and it and uh, the the soundtrack is what you'd expect from your soundtrack. Very it sounds very pleasant. Mm -hmm. It sounds awesome. Um, I guess to very go like, to go over to people who want to know about the battle system. It's like a it's like a you have a three person party. And it's not really turn based. It's more active turn based. But characters auto attack on their own, and you have. These two weapon skills, depending on what type of weapon you're equipping, 
and a character skill. And a character skill is like their their ultimate super attack or super um, what whatever and whatnot. So it's very simplistic uh, in terms of like what you're actually interacting with. You can move on the screen, but it doesn't moving really does nothing like in Dragon Quest Eleven. And um, we talked about elemental affinities, but the 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 sort of strategy behind it is as you're racking up combos, like the higher hit count you have on an enemy, the more that their damage multiplier will go up. So like if you get, manage to get 20 hits in a combo, now all your damage is doubled as long as you keep this combo going and whatnot. So that's kind of the strategy behind that. Um, any character can equip any weapon, but some characters are predisposed to like their own weapons. So for example, A2 is a big two-handed sword user. She does a lot of damage. Um, you can equip her with a gun or a one-handed sword or a staff, and she can attack with it and use its weapon skills just fine. But the big thing with it is if she uses a weapon that she's not used to or not associated with, she can only attack one time in her auto attacks with it. So like if she had a gun, she'd only shoot like one time or with a sword only swing one time. Unlike with a two-handed sword, if you uh, equip her with that, she can uh, attack up to five times with an auto attack. There's a chance to always do like two to five hits in a combo with a two-handed sword with her and then so that's how the the combo multiplier system and the weapon affinity system kind of um complement one another in that way so it is it is there there's a big team building aspect to it because you're not only are you uh leveling a character and their primary weapon there are two secondary weapons that you can uh, use like sort of like stat sticks for that character and there's all there's another companion system that are like summons and then like these memoir cards that are that give additional stats and additional bonuses to it. Yeah, the, so there's, the a lot, there's a lot to it. The secondary weapons, the memoirs, and the the summons, whatever they're called, the companions. Yeah. They're basically like your like your gear, like what would be in another they're analogous to like armor. Like there are other things other than your weapon that increase your stats and abilities. And sometimes there's trade-off where like you talked about A2 using different weapon where it's like Okay, the enemy I'm fighting is weak to water, but I don't have a two-handed sword for water, so I could equip her with a gun that is water element and have the elemental advantage, but then I lose her proficiency advantage. Does that pay off in the end here? Well, it might depend on the fight. So sometimes there are like gives and takes like that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's pretty much the extent of Nier without getting too, too into the weeds. Just a very general stuff. It's a, it's a very interesting game that I'm... I've invested in the story and interested to see where it goes next. I think it does have a cool narrative hook um, as it goes along, but I'll probably stick with it because I, I really like this universe and I'm interested to see how this plays out. But it's just keep in mind, very beware. It is it is a gotcha game at its core. It has all the typical trappings. Um, even when it launched, it had like a 48 hour jumpstart bundle. That like, hey, it's only gonna be up for two days uh, when we just launched, and uh, don't miss out. And you know, and it, and to keep itself afloat in the global server, it has like like real ads that you have to tap on for like a gem roulette, whatnot. So to keep itself afloat, and you know, it's beware, but also it's it's interesting. I haven't been turned away yet, so I've never played a gacha game before, and I have it going literally on my desk right now. So I'm, I'm, sur- I'm surprised you're I'm not still sure that's a good. Like, I'm not yeah. sure that's a good sign or a bad sign. You, you've la- you've lasted uh, more longer than some of our uh, other RPG site community members who first checked the game out. So uh, you, congratulations, I think. That, that, I didn't want to fall in that rabbit hole, so that's why I didn't try it. Well, you're already in like four other rabbit holes. 
Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Did you really even hear Chow? <laughs> no. So I fully expected that we'd go into this podcast talking about both Neo and Neo the World Ends with You, that is, and Near, because we have George and Josh back. And now the third and last game that we want to talk about at the first half here, I was not expecting until uh, a few people here on staff had started playing it. And we had talked about this game back when it released in May, but haven't heard much from it since. And that is new Pokemon Snap. So this released a couple months ago and James played it. You know, he had shared his thoughts in both a review and a podcast. And then that was kind of the end of it. Uh, But just this week, it had its, I believe, first kind of free content update, which I wasn't following the game close enough to even know that was coming. And apparently, James had thought well enough of it that we decided kind of to bring it up back here on the podcast to talk about it. And I know that Jess has also, you've been covering the new Pokemon Snap for IGN as well. Do I have that correct? Yeah, yeah, I am covering it for IGN. I'm playing through the new courses and putting together guides for it. All right, so I guess I'll let you go first, Jess. So did you also review the, I know James did for our site. Did you also cover the base game for IGN? No, but I did um, go through it for Looper and SVG, which is a um, oh, basically a another place. <laughs> yeah, so I do. Um, I put together like a you know hardest photos that I happen to find kind of guide, like it, because you do need to kind of um, experiment and like mess around with a Pokemon a little bit to get them to interact with each other. Most like there's a lot of that for four star photos or um, just hard to get photos for that type of um like to get to fill in all the entries in the photo decks so explain to me who has not played the base game like what did they add with this uh with this update in the last week well basically there's three new areas and 20 new pokemon that were introduced and then how does that compare to like the base game like is it going from like six to nine areas or nine to twelve areas or well that's um i guess it's just like a small portion compared to the base game but I think it's still a significant amount considering that the three areas also have two like two modes each, so it's technically six. So it's oh, okay. um a night and day version for all of them, and then the different research levels, which means that once you uh, play through one course enough, you'll level up and then find new Pokemon once you're research level two, for example. Uh, I remember James talking about that a little bit with the base game. Go ahead, James. Um. I actually think that one or I guess two of those um, new routes actually doesn't really have any changes with research levels. Like, I believe that the side path is always just max. Oh, yeah, that one is. But for but for Mighty Wide River and um, I believe Barren Badlands, those do have research levels. You're right, though. The yep. side path only has the max level once you reach the end of research level one. I mean... I'll be honest, I prefer that. Like one of my major issues with the base game was I thought that um the way that research levels were actually implemented was kind of annoying. Like I feel like it's a good idea on paper, Agreed. but the way that you're kind of forced to uh replay these um levels several times in order to get access to the fun part of the fun version of the level with all the interactions that you'd want and all that. I don't know. I just not to kind of um, be down on it or anything, but uh, the reason why I started playing the DLC or the update wasn't necessarily because I held the original game in high regard. I thought I was actually kind of disappointed by it 
but rather, I mean, it is an update and I feel like, well, it's an easy thing to write about. <laughs> but were you ended up being surprised by it? Like, did you end up thinking it was better than you well, anticipated I am, going in? I'm writing up my impressions about it, which is kind of not quite, well, let me put it this way. The update shows some things that are really, really nice. Like, I feel like the side path in particular is probably my favorite level in the entire game now because of just how unique it is and how from the start, everything's unlocked and you don't have to keep going through the same level like six times in order to get to the part of the, to the version of the level that's actually fun. But even just getting to the side path, the progression for unlocking it I feel like that's the way that unlocking new levels in the game should have been from the start. Like, basically, the way it works for a side path is that you're told, oh, we have this new upgrade for the Neo 1 that lets you shrink if you can find an entrance to an area where you can shrink down and floor. And they give you a little hint for it. And it's like, hey, look for a tree that looks like this and then scan it and you'll be able to go into this new area. And... I feel like the way that progression should have been handled in new Pokemon Snap from the first place was something like that. Because otherwise, like the way the pacing is now with the game, it's just bad. It's just bad because you need to replay levels sometimes several times, like especially this one underwater one. I remember I had to replay like oh, three God. or four times Ugh. in order to just get, get the stupid, I forget the name of the Pokemon, the bullet shrimp. Just to break the rock so I could finally do the part <laughs> of the level the game wanted me to do. It's just like, oh, uh, I'm very just, glad here. I'm very glad George is here to just like bounce off of these criticisms. <laughs> oh, but yeah, you know, it's actually, agree. oh, I was going to say, it's actually funny you point that out because the original Pokemon Snap game, you did unlock new levels by um, basically unlocking puzzles. Like, yeah, and maybe. I prefer that. Yeah. Like, the way if I were, like, and this is something I'm going to write about in my impressions, it's, it's like, if I were to fix new Pokemon Snap, it would be three main things. One, don't make the vast majority of the puzzles, like, revolve around Crystal Blooms. I don't think it's great design. I what like, is that? Like, basically, explain to me, like, I'm five, what that is. Okay, so there's a basically the one main new mechanic in new Pokemon Snap is the Illumina system, where instead of having pester balls, you have Lumina orbs, which you can throw at Pokemon, they'll get a glow around them, they get feisty, and they might do special things that they wouldn't do otherwise if you like scan them or play your flute, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And there's these crystal flowers called crystal blooms, where if you throw one of those orbs at those they'll light up everything around them and then it can be a chain reaction from there. And one of my favorite things from the original Pokemon Snap was when the game um, forced you to actually think about what you needed to do. But with the Crystal Blooms, it, there's no thinking about it. It's just like, okay, I see a flower, I throw a Lumina Orb at it, and then I move on. Okay, and I do remember the, uh, the Lumina Orbs. When we had talked about it previously, but I don't know if you had brought up the crystal blooms or if you did, it didn't stick in my brain. But yeah, I can sort of see that where it's just kind of like giving away the puzzle. Like, hey, well, you see this flower here? It, away. Just... it doesn't fully give it away, but it's just it feels a lot more linear, which is disappointing because even though it's like even the original was obviously on rails, it I don't know. So first off, so okay, 
So about the update itself, though, like, is it does it do better at this or is it more of the same? Yes, um, there's still crystal okay. blooms, unfortunately, but there are um, more unique. Uh, um, yeah, there's more unique uh, ways for figuring out puzzles. The areas, I'd say, even from the get go, even on level one are more interesting. They have more interesting stuff to do. Um, the side path. Again, it's fascinating because you're tiny, so you're seeing all these Pokemon in a way that you've never seen them before. And then there's stuff like you can take a side path in the side path to go over a sleeping Snorlax. And one of the cute things you can do is you can actually throw like a fluffed fruit at, at its mouth and it'll react to that and actually eat it, which come to think of it, probably not a great thing for Pokemon company trying to teach kids to do. It's like, Oh, they see their dad like sleeping like with his mouth open. They try and th they try and throw an apple at it. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know why my brain went to this. When you talked about being tiny, like running over a Snorlax, I was like, what do you like throw do you throw like a lumina orb up its nose or whatever? For some reason <laughs> that's where my brain went <laughs> until you talked about feeding. Oh, that makes more sense for Snorlax. Oh, also because you're tiny, I didn't really catch this before, but apparently you ride on a Molgus back. I didn't realize yeah. what I was doing before. And I was like, oh, okay, no wonder. It's like right next to you. Yeah. That's cool. But yeah, um, so yeah, I would change up like the Crystal Bloom thing. I would make it so that when you're going on each island, because the way the game is segmented, you have several islands that you go through and you uh, progress with them until you eventually get to the Illumina Pokemon at the center of that island's phenomenon. And I feel like the game could have easily done something like the original game, or when you're on each island, you have to find the um, you have to find the path forward in the previous area in order to progress onward. And I feel like they easily could have done something like that. And then once you like find and capture photos of the alumna Pokemon, it's on to the next island, and they didn't even need to get rid of the research level thing. Cause on paper, I don't think it's a bad idea. I don't think given the right like framework of it, it wouldn't be bad. My main problem with it specifically is that especially if you want to get to the final level for many of these ones, you're going to have to replay like research level two, like three or four times at a minimum. And that's just not fun. Yeah. Do um, we do we know if there's going to be more updates? Like, is this going to be a game that, that they're going to just keep peppering in these new pads and new Pokemon, or was this just kind of like like I don't remember remember if we had like a roadmap for this? We didn't have a roadmap for this when they announced the update. Everyone was surprised. Oh, okay. I was talking to it only come like a week ago. Kind yeah, of yeah. Nowhere. So we don't know if there will be any more updates. Um, I want to say no because honestly, like I don't think Pokemon. Like new Pokemon Snaps issue was lack of content at launch. I feel like it still had plenty of content, especially now with this update. But um, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Uh, I was talking to Kian about it because he's been playing a lot of it. Uh, like he played a lot of the original like release. He's been jumping on the DLC, and he said like he believes that some of the dialogue was saying like, "Oh, the ability to do this has been installed in this area at the moment." Uh, like I, I can't speak for that. I haven't played it myself, but he made it sound like maybe there could be more. And seeing how random this was, I I wouldn't be too surprised. I per I'm personally not interested like at all. I had my fill when the game came out, but you know, some people enjoy it. Honestly, yeah, I did kind of suspect that after the um secret side path is unlocked, that perhaps there'll be more of that in the future. Mm. It does seem like an interesting mechanic to have, 
Like maybe I would like to see more of that in the other areas. In fact, one of the things I thought of while playing the side path was that, um, for example, there's some smaller Pokemon that I think uh, are easier to capture on camera when you're right next to them all tiny. Funny, because I'm not sure if that was actually meant to be a hint or whatnot, because like, once I actually thought about the mechanic and thinking about, okay, how would you implement it in the other levels, I realized actually, no, like the forest, like the foresty area, maybe, but otherwise, like the side path seems like the most natural place for a shrinking mechanic to be used because on the other islands, it doesn't make as much sense, I don't think. Yeah. So the base game doesn't have these side paths, at least not marked like that. Not the shrinking ones. As far as I know, I, I say I, I know about as much as as you do here, Brian. I've not really paid too much attention. Just the fact that but, maybe but the, the whole the whole tiny side path is a is a new addition. Yeah, that part specifically is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. If you were going to see one more thing added, like I know you said, content isn't the games. You know, it's not what it's lacking. But can you think of if if they were going to follow up on this idea of like side paths or ideas, something they could add? Oh, no. Here, I'll throw I one f- out. I-, I would throw one out. Like I was thinking, like, well, if you were riding, what was it, an Emolga before? I'll be honest, I'm yeah. the type of person I'd, ha- I'd have to Google that to remember what that was. That's like the snail, isn't it? No, no, no it's no. the flying it's piggy, a... basically. <laughs> yeah, flying squirrel. Oh, what am I thinking of? I don't know what I'm thinking of. Well, there goes my idea. I would say they should put you on a flying Pokemon. <laughs> oh, wait, they already did. <laughs> they already did. Uh, Do a snail. <laughs> yeah. Is there a snail Pokemon? They'll put you on that. Maybe that, maybe that wouldn't be too fun. Does Omanite count? <laughs> Crustle? Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. Like uh, an underwater Pokemon. Put you on like a on a Lapras oh, or something. No more underwater stages in new Pokemon Snow. Oh, okay, never mind. Oh, never mind. Please Go to no. space. Is there a space Pokemon? Yeah, space <laughs> yes, there, there's several actually. Like uh, there's there the Oxus. There's I, I forget the name of it. It's like a it's Meteor, the Meteor one? Yeah, the Meteor one. I think that's actually Gen 8. Oh, I'm so I'm so totally out of my element here. <laughs> oh, man, like, I, I was like, oh, hello. Lapras, and you're like, oh, all these other Pokemon that are much newer. Uh, I have resigned myself from space. <laughs> I have resigned myself to only learning about new Pokemon if I play Pokemon Unite again, and they add a, a lot more new Pokemon. That's the only way I can learn about new Pokemon. Are you Are you still on Pokemon Unite? Oh, um, not really. Re- not right now. <laughs> you're not, kinda, no, I dropped uh, it. I, I'm gonna, oh, you know what? What's up? Like a hmm. new feature idea: top ten Pokemon that would make the best ride. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> she's good. Our listicle, what Pokemon we, we want to write on for a new Pokemon Snap. And one of them will be a snail. It'll be number 10. <laughs> if that snail exists. But anyways, okay, it was cool to hear you guys share your kind of wrap-up thoughts and hear Jess's thoughts on the base game as well for new Pokemon Snap. And then obviously, once you square up and publish your feature that you're currently drafting on that, we'll obviously give that a shout-out on our Twitter page. and. Maybe next time in the podcast. There's a few other things that have gone up on the site in the last couple of days uh, that we haven't had a chance to really kind of platform yet. Uh, one of them is we did get a late review up for The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. Maybe we we might have mentioned this. It might have went up like literally just before the podcast last week. But it, if it was, if it did, it was in like the, the midnight hour. So uh, Nathan Lee covered that game for us and it's you know it's a zelda game it's kind of like one of those rpg adjacent sort of things uh he was a bit more positive on skyward sword than most of the cast here so he has that review up on the site just to kind of podcast. he 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 kind of gives away he gives the takeaway that i think a lot of people have is that 
Skyward Sword has a really great Link in Zelda, and it's very story-driven, more so than most Zelda games, and it has a really good set of dungeons. And like those are the things that he really likes, so he is pretty high on the game. But he does admit, like, for things like the, you know, the, the various things you collect and some of the pacing and some of the mini-games and whatnot, that's where it drags itself down. But um, the game is 10 years old at this point. I think people are sort of, like, you know, solidified the things it does well versus the things it doesn't do well. And whether or not that's for you might depend on what you're kind of looking for. Nintendo already game. said, yeah, Nintendo already said, make your peace with it because it is Breath of the Wild 2 is based off of. So yeah. sort out your feelings fast, bitch. Like, for example, he said, like, Breath of the Wild's dungeons, like, it's uh, the Divine Beast, and I agree with him. As dungeons, those are kind of bad. <laughs> but, you know, that's not really... Breath of the Wild is sort of taking Zelda into a different direction. Not really dungeon designy anymore. So, Skyward Sword is sort of your way to, if you haven't played it yet, kind of experience a more dungeon design, traditional 3D Zelda. We also got a review up on the site that I think kind of... I'm not sure if this was planned, this is the one that James just put up recently, a review for Death's Door. And uh, James, I'll let you speak on this, because I actually I wasn't sure if this is something that you just decided to do on a whim or something that you had in mind, but kind of cl- close to your chest. Uh, well, I mean, so just tell me about your review for Death's Door and like what you thought of it. That's funny, because uh, you were in the uh, voice chat when I literally asked Alex if it would be fine for me to do a review for Death's Door. So it was just yeah, kind of you can't expect me to pay it you, you well you weren't like yeah you weren't streaming it or you weren't like sharing your thoughts about it in you know in too many words but apparently you had uh had a good time with it enough so that you felt compelled to write about it yeah i uh so g- give me like the the five minute or even three minute overview of like what is death store uh death store is uh it's gonna sound Kind of uninspired because it's an indie game that's like a 2D met uh, not Metroid a 2D uh, Zelda game. Zelda um, and Metroid are pretty similar anyway. I almost fuck on you, but um, yeah, so kind of like that. Um, but it's got more of an action RPG focus. Uh, you got a bunch of different we- well, a couple of different weapons you can choose from. There's a more of a kind of a focus on the secrets, and the game does a really good job of uh, making secrets engaging enough to find about needing a guide but also it doesn't like outright like even when it gives you hints it doesn't outright tell you where you need to go and what to do it just like points you in the right direction the level design is very good and especially for like the uh, dungeon type areas so they're not really dungeons they're more like kind of like almost like set pieces but um the combat's good the visuals are really really nice and the soundtrack is probably my favorite soundtrack of the year so far. So it's um, definitely a game where it's better than the sum of its parts. Maybe it, it's not as tightly interwoven as something like Fuga, but it's still a very good game. And it's uh, yet another game that came out in July that just, God, July was just the month from hell with how many different like really good games came out and we don't want any of them to fall under the radar so here's here's one attempt for another game that we're trying to prop up a bit that you scored really highly just as highly as colin rated neo the one that was with you so nine out of ten you wrote up a really nice review for it uh, a game that i probably wouldn't have even like known to look at if you hadn't taken the chance on, on a whim to cover it so and that way, thank you for doing that. And we do have that review up on the site. So go ahead and give it a read. 
And finally, we talked about this at length on the last podcast. We've talked about the release of the first three of the Final Fantasy Pixel remasters. Adam had a chance to play through a lot of those. We talked about James's experience with the original versions of those games that he played through in the last couple months. Up on the site, uh, it's been a collaborative effort between Adam and a few other contributors to put up a bunch of... Uh, Scott, I want to make sure I call him out. Uh, put up a bunch of guides for those first three Pixel remasters. Adam has done basically kind of checklist walkthroughs for Final Fantasies 2 and 3. Basically, just... If you want to make sure you're on the right path and you're not missing anything and you're, or you just need like a very a very gentle like hold in terms of where to go and what to do, we've got very bare bones kind of skeleton walkthrough for you to follow up on the site as well as a few other things. Uh, so making sure to cover those pretty thoroughly because kind of like the namesake of RPG site originally spun out of a site that used to cover those first 10 Final Fantasy games. So some of that stuff is actually legacy material from the old unofficial Final Fantasy site. So kind of a cool little bit of history trivia there. And yes, we do plan on kind of following that through once uh, Pixel Remasters 4 through 6 uh, end up releasing. It, it is funny that the 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 biggest issue the pre-release and all of these Pixel Remasters that, uh, you know, the font, font size before they came out, like now there's just like a, a plethora of like different fonts you can use with a PC version of these releases. And people have gotten very creative with it. It's been very fun to see like the progression of like... Not, not even just for the English language, like some people have done like different fonts for the other localizations as well for that, for those, for these pixel remasters. It's very, very cool. Yeah, it's because one of the one of the biggest terms in search guides was Scott finding out how to replace the the uh, English font with the with the Japanese font of the English characters. But now people are like, here's I'm pulling in the Mystic Quest font or I'm pulling in font from other Final Fantasy game or another RPG. And there's like I think there was like a Discord channel basically dedicated to having dozens of different options to choose from. And apparently it's simple enough to be like drag and drop. So you can kind of customize to your heart's extent yeah, a just, few weeks after launch. I'm still waiting for someone to do the Wingdings font uh, replacement. I'm sure it exists. <laughs> but also that just makes you wonder like, okay, yeah. that's good and all for the PC version, but what are they going to do when they port <laughs> yeah. it? What's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, People who have been like holding their breath to play this on Switch or another system, it's what are they going to do? Hope maybe they're going to pick up a Steam Deck. Uh, just yeah, there, there you uh, go for uh, Josh. I do remember actually seeing somebody use Wingdings. Yes. All right. <laughs> we reached the promised land then. As for the uh, topical section of this podcast, kind of a uh, stop me if you've heard this before. No big headliners this week. It's been kind of a quiet month for news. Uh, with the exception of if you are a big PUBG player, it is no longer Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. It is now just the acronym PUBG Battlegrounds. So <laughs> that is the highlight of the week. I got God, dude. There you go. And then uh, there we do have a couple follow ups from things that we talked about earlier in the year on this podcast. We talked about, oh, was it back in March? Let me get a date on this. I'm talking about Yomiwo Sakuhana. Yes, it was back in March, where this released in Japan. This is an experienced dungeon RPG. This was released back in Japan last summer, and we got the announcement that it would have an English localization under the name Undernaught's Labyrinth of Yomi. We did learn this week that it will release on October 28th for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Switch. And then it will be, oh, and PC. And then we'll also get a 
PlayStation 5 release in 2022 next year. So, Adam, was there anything else? I know you're the one on staff that I have pegged as the biggest dungeon RPG aficionado, as far as I can tell. Uh, was there anything else that you thought was interesting about this release date or that you saw from the Undernauts uh, trailer from this week? I can't um, believe that Brian asks uh, Adam when I'm the one that actually owns this game, a Japanese import. Uh, well, then you you know too much. You're too close to the sun. <laughs> Share the crown. <laughs> It really didn't, you know, it's a dungeon RPG. I like dungeon RPGs. They just shared the release date. They showed some gameplay. And the thing with these sorts of games is, like, if you're just looking at a minute or two minutes or even five minutes of gameplay, it, it kind of just all dungeon RPGs sort of look the same. You have a self, like a player-made party, different classes. Um, it's got the same sort of stylings and even, like, UI, similar UI to other games from experience. Um... So like I I know they streamed like further gameplay for it, but I wasn't you know I didn't really I wasn't really I, interested I watched in watching it. It was, actually, it. it was actually a pretty lengthy uh, deep dive into uh, Undernauts, and I think the the thing that really stuck out to me is like the the appearances of like the different classes that you can have are very very unique. Like you can have like so an appearance like an idol sorcerer, which kind of like has an idol outfit, like a big wizard hat, and like it and uh, a manga artist cleric. That has like uh, kind of dressed up like in a uh, sweats and like a big, like candle halberd almost. Like the thing that really stuck out to me is like, oh, this is like like this art style that it has like is really really neat, and they're making cool a cool use of like uh, appearances that really stick out to you. And like you know, experience RPGs are they are what they are. So like the sound effects are very are like you know borrowed from previous experience releases like Stranger of Sword City, like the hit effects in battle, that's very distinct and whatnot. I think the really cool thing about what they showed off in that uh, Axis stream um, was uh, as they were navigating through the dungeon, you uh, run into these camps where you can um, kind of rest there for a bit. And uh, during like uh, this gameplay session, um, they run into these one of these camps and you meet like uh, an NPC. And you're like, okay, I need to help out this NPC because bad things happen at this camp. But you know, the 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 way back to the previous camp because you're at camp two and you want to get back to camp one with this character, it's like, oh, do I have to like run back all, all the way there? There, I don't, I forget if this was like in a previous experience RPG, so you can always correct me on that. But um, you can actually set like an uh, like an auto path back to that camp. It'll take like the shortest route back to that camp and immediately move you automatically very quickly back to that camp which is like kind of streamlines it a bit more um and you know just quality small quality of life features like that but it looked it looks to be like a pretty engaging experience rpg i'm i'm looking forward to it after seeing that um i think they spent like at least 20 20 20 30 minutes on undernauts alone and i was like oh this really catches my eye like um I'm, I'm, I want to play it. Hopefully, the unfortunate part about this whole thing is it releases on October 28th, and you know what else it releases October 28th? Not Super Robot Wars 30. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Super Robot Wars 30 uh, comes out the same day this game game comes out. It's like, and that's not already like what two weeks before Shin Megami Tensei Five. So it is like, well, you know, I've. Priorities have to be made somewhere. So experiences, dungeon RPGs, they're a little, they're a little bit hit and miss for me. 
I really like Stranger of Sword City. I have, I think, slightly higher expectations for this one simply because it was in development for so long, and maybe that maybe it should be opposite. Maybe I should be worried. But like this was like originally announced five or six years ago, and it finally released in Japan last year, and now it's coming out here. And I know dungeon RPGs are, uh, you know, they're a very niche, one of the most niche, like, sub-RPG genres, but they do a pretty good job. Um, so it's got a cool art style. Uh, like you said, some of the classes look interesting. Dungeon RPGs in general, I like, you know, this, I like the basically the concept of having to build your own party, put together, coordinate a team, like all the equipment, all the classing, all the coordination—it's very customizable. Really, yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of really value those sorts of things, so I'm interested. Um, Sounds like so, you would like near reincarnation. So what I wanted to say, because <laughs> I just double checked, because I remembered the last time I checked that it was the case on Amazon Japan, but uh, as of right now, and this is um, the game came out around a year ago on Switch. The Switch version on Amazon has 121 ratings and has an average of uh, four and a half out of five stars. Which Amazon, Amazon, the arbiter right? of quality. Oh, well, no. Look, but, unironically, Amazon Japan ratings are brutal as hell. So if yeah. this game has I that high of a rating. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is so funny to see, like, the, the quality of, like, Amazon ratings and, like, what you would, like, in the it, U.S. versus, I trust like, the Amazon. Japan. I actually trust the Japan one. I like totally man they said that one of the games i dislike and i was totally agree with what everything that they said over there yeah, it's so, so... Yeah, and I, the games I, that I, we I, gave I, a 10 out of 10 on actually has like a 4.8 rating in amazon japan usually so look, I, tr- like... I trust i trust amazon reviews in japan more than i trust from its reviews so <laughs> I, I, I thought you were gonna say like i trust amazon more than i trust myself but no i, I would never trust from review it's like four guys that gives like a paragraph it's like how can you Determine a game's quality with one I, paragraph of each writer. I love the Famitsu review format because it, it's like it's literally just like five sentences or four to five sentences from each person, and like they all read this like the game. The game's graphics are good. The gameplay was fun. The characters are cool. Music was the camera. all right. The <laughs> camera was like uh, it could be hit or miss. Uh, I'll give it like a seven, I guess. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Like, how do I even know the game's good from from that sentence alone, man? Dude, trust me. That's the that's the Famitsu slogan for reviews. Dude, trust me. But anyways, I I should get around to playing my import. <laughs> like probably like, you know what? Maybe sometime this month I'll finally sit down. Wait, so you wait, and... so you called me out for not mentioning you <laughs> owning the import, but you haven't even played it. Yeah. Well, in my defense. <laughs> In my defense, I, I, I imported it because this was before the localization announcement. I wasn't even sure if it was going to be localized. And then um, this was right after I'd finished Labyrinth of Galleria, which was a 120-plus-hour game. It was very depressing. And I knew I would want to get around to playing um, Labyrinth of Yomi eventually, but I didn't want to play it immediately. And then eventually the uh, localization was announced. And yeah. now, now you're under the gun. Now you have until October 28th if you want to make good on your import. They have Undernaut's Labyrinth of Yomi, Dungeon RPG, releasing in late October, based on Amazon Japan. It's a great game. So, oh, yeah. To that. We also have another not-quite-announcement for an RPG coming to Switch. This is an ESRB rating for .hack GU last recode. I hope I stylized that properly. This is the remaster that released back in 2017 
for PC and PS4 has a rating from the SRB coming to Nintendo Switch. Now, I know when Adam covers these things, I believe his rule of thumb is that trademark renewals and things like that aren't worth covering because you never know the publisher's intent behind those. But ESRB ratings, uh, you tend to go with a little bit more strongly as almost confirmation that they're happening. Do I have that correct? Generally speaking, yes. Because a rating, has to come out a rating has to come out from something. Yeah. Like, but the, the, the only issue with ratings sometimes is like if the ESRB pops down like the wrong platform, which happens sometimes. But, you know, if this is rated for Switch out of nowhere, like something had to happen to get it a rating. If it was like trademarked, it could just be, oh, the trademark lapsed and Bonnie Nameco wanted to protect the name because they don't want anyone else, you know, using calling something. This, this is actually how we confirmed, like, but, uh, how we confirmed that Super Bowl Wars 30 was getting a Western release because, like, we saw ratings for Europe and yeah. uh, mm -hmm. pending SRB rating. Now, Steam, we are like, still okay. waiting. We are still waiting for official confirmation of, like, from Konami, Castlevania Advanced Collection because that was rated in Australia. Oh, yeah. But, hasn't, nothing, but nothing's come out yet. So it's like, it's hopefully it should happen. Because the rating doesn't come out of nowhere. But, but anyways, on tech, this is the I, I'm dot hack what? last recode remaster coming to Switch. Did anyone play the uh the PS4 version from a few years ago? I, I, I bought them as like collectors items, but I never actually touched their games. I just remember like they're like these set guys that take place in a video game that started kind of like the genre before like no, what? no that's not that, that that's is nothing exactly, like that. That's, that's, that's not dot hack. That's that is not, not that hack. No, 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 no. <laughs> the best way to just... No, 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 no. Oh. Yeah. no, no. I remember back in 98, there was like... 98? Yeah, I remember something like that. No, 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 no. Holy shit. I mean, I, I, how, I about, how about we let Josh talk about this? Because Josh reviewed the game for us. Chow, <laughs> I love you, dude. I'm, I'm Josh lost. can't speak need, right now. I need, I, need, I, need, I need someone to put this back on the railroad tracks. Back oh, in '98, gosh. in the olden days. <laughs> okay, all right. So, okay, let, let's take a step back. I, I reviewed uh, Last Recode. Last Recode was a remaster collection for the three Dot Hack GU games. These were the games that came out after the initial quadrilogy of Infection, Mutation, Tetralogy. Outbreak, and quad, 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 yeah, quadrilogy. Yeah, did I say quadrilogy? Tetralogy. <laughs> yeah, Tetralogy. Oh, tetralogy. No, he said quadrilogy. English. I said quadrilogy. What? Yeah, he did. No. Wait, I said tetralogy or tet yeah, okay. quadrilogy is not a word. No, oh. no, no, he's actually there, right. Quadrilogy is the way you say it. There Wait, are no it, mistakes oh, made on the tetracast. But it's not a quadrilogy. I thought that was eh. just say series. Uh, Go ahead, keep going, Josh. Okay, so there's an initial set of four games that came out on PS2 back then, not in '98. It was a bit. <laughs> no, 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 PS2 I was didn't come out the anime. Back. I was thinking of the anime. <laughs> anime didn't come out in '98, dude. It was like okay, 2002. Uh, 2002, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So GU was the series after that, and this uh, I forgot the um, the subtitles for them. Uh, like Reminisce was like the third one. I forgot. Whatever. So. These were the remasters of that GU series, and there was additional new content in Last Recode, as sort of acting like as an epilogue that lasted for like you know a few hours and whatnot, sort of uh, to tie it all up, sort of thing. So that's Last Recode, and uh, that's uh, it was cool, you know, like they were pretty faithful remasters. Like all the content was there. There was some minute balance changes, battle balance changes in behind the scenes, but you couldn't really tell if like you know if you haven't played the. The games in a while so it, it was it was all right like i i like that uh remaster i just it's just one of those games that it's like 
it's so I don't know what the target audience is anymore, and it's not an isekai, uh, chow. It, it like it, for people who don't know, isekai is a very very popular trend in Japan right now for Japanese light novels to telling another world stories where characters are transported from the real world. Well, what I meant was like it takes place in the video game. Okay, it takes place in the video game, but it's not. They don't get transported there. They actually, yeah, like, they don't get yeah. they don't get transported. It's not the exact term, but I'm just saying it takes place inside a video game called the world. If I remember it. Yes, that that is true. That all the dot hack games they all take place in a, a virtual reality MMO called the world. They all they all these people have real bodies in the real world, and they log in through their virtual virtual reality headsets. So now, ready player one. Oh my! Yes. Sorry, Josh. I know how much that pains for you to hear that, but, but he's, he's not right. exactly he's right. wrong. He's right. He's right. He's right. I know. Right. <laughs> uh, um. So. Now, I know where your confusion is coming from, Chow, because the premise of the of the original qua- four games, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, God, uh, the, the the player character's uh, best friend. So the player character's default name is Kite. His friend Orca. These are all usernames. Uh, Orca um, gets comatose uh, from an entity inside the 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 game of the world, and. So uh, is essentially trapped in that game, and that's where you're th- thinking this is an isekai because there are certain elements of Dot Hack where they are trapped inside the game. It is also the the premise of Dot Hack Sign, which is the old 2002 anime where Sukasa is trapped inside the game and he can't he can't log out. So that's where you're thinking this is an yeah. isekai. I'd also like to say really quickly that even if you have no interest in dot hack, uh, look up the dot hack sign um, OST on YouTube or something because that yes. is honestly one of the best anime OSTs of all time. It is one of Yuki Kajira's best works. The amazing, amazing soundtrack. Um, but yes, that's the that's the whole story behind this ESRB rating for dot hack GU last recode. We kind of went a little bit further than that. Than that to clear up any uh, sort of, uh, you know, confusion around it, and uh, you know, I hope this is true, and hopefully it sells well. I don't know. I don't know if it'll like mesh well with the Switch audience because if this, like, you know, if they're gonna re-release it, on some on some level, Cyber Connect Two is hoping to revisit the Dot Hack series. They've already said so, but it's really all at the Bandai Namco to green light it, and the, what will make that happen is I like don't they have the happen. number the numbers i don't think it'll happen yeah. not necessarily because here's the thing they've got sword art they've yep. got sword art online which is a mm-hmm. very very similar concept whether we want to to admit it or not mm-hmm. it sells much better has mm-hmm. much better market appeal yep and it sucks because dot hack it's definitely not a series for everyone like the games and all that not for everyone but it actually accurately portrays the feeling of playing an MML, not playing an MML, but the the role whole... playing part. Like if you were to really take the role playing aspect of an MMO, like faithfully, it it nails that. It, like, it, no, 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 not even that. It's like it's not just playing an MMO, but it's everything surrounding playing an mm, mmo like yeah. the message boards the rumors and all that yes. of those it's 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 fascinating like the main like uh, menu of like gu is literally like a pseudo desktop like OS. almost xmb like desktop interface with all sorts of things like uh, a news channel that goes over stuff that's going on in the quote-unquote real world 
there's like uh, message boards for the game itself and like side side modes like with actual like forum threads and all that which i guess when you think of it that way it's like uh it it's a game for people that played boomer mmos yeah oh yeah yeah so that's a boomer mmo I think a lot of shows portray the MMO genre kind of wrong because they don't really seem to play the games and just kind of like, 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 do you even understand mechanics and stuff? Yeah, so. GU definitely understands how people at least used to play MMOs. Maybe not how they play them now, but how they used to for sure. Yeah, even the original Dot Hack games for, uh, before GU, like definitely, like how we were talking about the period pieces with the Neo: The World Ends with You and the original game. Like, the, you should like look at this, like the the dialogue and the scripts of that game, both in the message boards and in game dialogue. Like, it's like, whoa, that was that was definitely like what people thought. Uh, people, how people thought people were gonna. Uh, play in MMOs at the time but before MMOs got big it's like uh, if people were to like take MMOs seriously as like a role playing game and like speak like that then <laughs> that those are like some wild depictions of it I, I I don't think this was mentioned but this isn't the first time that Bandai Namco has sort of have we've seen a rating for a Switch port for a few years old game Nino Kuni 2 is rated for Switch kind of out of nowhere and then they announced Nino Kuni 2 Switch port coming out like next month. So it, there's precedent for Bandai Namco to take these games that released 2016, 17 and port them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyone who's uh, got sidetracked from this, it's this is an ESRB rating for the remaster set of four games for Switch. It's already out on PlayStation 4 and PC. Where's so. the Sino Saga remasters? That is a good, good question. Luck. Good fucking uh, one of these, luck. Yeah, one of these days we'll see uh, the ESRB rating for that. Uh, we, we hope so, man. It feels like that's looking more and more unlikely by the day if uh, Harada uh, is anything to uh, go by. Senior up in uh, Damco Bandai now. We have a couple other small updates. A lot of these we have talked about kind of several times on the podcast, so I don't know how much time we'll delve into them here. For instance, we got a new set of screenshots from Shin Megami Tensei 5, which obviously is one of the biggest RPG releases of the holiday season coming out November 12th. We last talked about this when they went through a bunch of the character bios for a bunch of the supporting cast, where we kind of talked about how those characters serve as sort of proxies for like the different routes they typically you can take in these SMT games. And now they just kind of seem to follow up on that last update with a series of new screenshots. Uh, they kind of re reestablish the story premise. They kind of detail the press turn battle system, which Adam educated on us as how it is different from once more a few months back. I don't know if there's anything that you can really take away from what they showed here, a bunch of the new screenshots. I think my favorite is they have this screenshot that basically shows like the whole UI of the demon system, where it shows Archangel, shows his abilities, shows his stats, shows his like elemental affinities. Basically, it's like, yes, this is this is tried and true in SMT RPG. Uh, I know some people who looked at that and thought it was really busy, but then Adam looked at it and thought it said he thought that it actually looked like really clean and the UI actually really worked for him because he's a little bit more familiar with it. It's very yeah. similar to the Tokyo Mirage Sessions UI. I mean, if you've played these sorts of games, it gives you all the information you want about the demon. So, yeah, um, uh... any other? Go ahead. The, the, the one thing, the one other thing that I that was slightly new 
that I don't think has been in other games, at least not quite like this, was this skill potential system where it mentions that like a skill in the game can get like a plus one or plus two based on like the demon's affinity with the skill. In other games, I know you could like fuse. I think this is an apocalypse and even in token mirage sessions where like if you fuse two demons that had the same skill it could get like a plus one to it right to make it would be like yeah. a stronger version of the skill yeah. but now it seems like it's sort of like that but not quite like that like they might get a plus or a minus based on like the demon's affinity maybe maybe they're just wording it weirdly um actually let me, yeah let that's, me pull that's up. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm reading through it right now that's that's weird that like the uh, demon's affinity would um affect that because how it worked because the plus system was introduced in four and you know used in four apocalypse and it was a very simple system like say hey you know dia the simple heal spell it'll heal like for this amount but if you um um fuse a demon uh and put a dia on top of another dia it would be a dia plus one so it heal a little bit more so like you're basically combining like the same type of skill into each other to um make that number go higher and make it more potent but now it seems like you know with the the skill potential system, I that's kind of weird that a, a demon's actual affinity would now influence that system. It's kind of I don't know splitting hairs. What, but... what it says is demons all carry affinities and weaknesses. Skills that match their demons' affinities become that much more powerful, marked with a plus skill potentials. Conversely, inheriting a skill that matches a demon' natural weakness leads to a minus skill potential, making it less powerful. Strategically deciding between the damage you can deal versus the enemy weaknesses you can strike is key. And so I forgot. On. That I, I feel like did they, did they sort of do this with four? Because, like, say you have a jack-o'-lantern or pyro jack, whatever localization name you want to go with. So, like, if you put obviously the affinity for that is fire. So, if you put Aji on that uh, um, demon, it would make it more potent. But, like, you say, say you put Bufu on uh, a pyro jack, I forgot if they allowed for that transfer. Or if you if the, if you could do it, if it would make that ice skill weaker I, because I, of an opposing. Maybe maybe my memory is just bad, but I thought you, if you did the right fusions, you could put Bufu on a fire demon, and it would, you know, it depended on based, based purely on their magic stat, right? I, and you could still get a plus if you happen to fuse like another Bufu on top of it. I didn't think it. I didn't think the pluses had anything to do with the affinity. Yeah, so, I, I'm pretty I, maybe, sure. Maybe maybe I'm misremembering, but it sounds like a slight tweak in any case. Huh. So we're getting a little bit of the weeds. Yeah, yeah. We're just trying, <laughs> on paper, on paper, that sounds smart. Yeah, they're trying to make it more demons more specialized, more like focused instead of because mm. because I remember four and four apocalypse had this problem. Like you can make demons that are like very um, multi-purpose, like they serve all uh, all all your needs. Like one demon does everything. Like not even a jack of all trades, just a master of all trades. I know. But I know. I, some like, people criticize Shin Megami Tensei as being like. The demon itself doesn't matter. They're basically a, like a, a walking set of stats and skills. Like, who cares about what demon you happen to put what it on? What shape they if are. They're, yeah. if, they're, if they're magic stats in 80 and they know these four magic skills, it, that's all that matters, right? Like, <laughs> that, that, is the, that is the one really cool thing. Like, you know, Atlas has been do, Atlas Japan has been doing these daily demon videos, like showcasing a new demon or a, a demon that'll be in the game every day. And then in the YouTube comments, like, these are... I don't ever really read YouTube comments, but the YouTube comments for these daily demon videos are pretty cool because it's a it's a it's a very focused discussion about like this particular demon. And some people really like these demons. They talk about the mythologies about these demons. They say, Oh, like this is my favorite demon. Like I use this demon like in this game and like they were always by my side. So it's really cool to see just like an open discussion and seemingly civilized discussion about just like demons in the, in these games. 
Yeah. That, that actually is kind of cool when you like pretty much you boundary condition the, uh, the 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 dialogue to be about that specific demon. SMT demons are just like edgy Pokemon. <laughs> there you go. I love He's them. Not wrong. Everyone Style. has their favorite Pokemon. True. <laughs> Here's another update of a game that we spent a couple weeks talking about, and I'll just bring up here just to do it to due diligence. Uh, Blue Reflection Second Light. We talked about how they introduced a new character uh, previously, Shiho, and they're doing that again with another new character, which is Hiori. Which is a um, this is another part of they're they're releasing this game as part of like a, a media set along with the mobile game and the anime, and this is the. Uh, the main character of the anime will also have a presence in Blue Reflection Second Light, the console yeah, game. This, this, is the, this is a weird thing because I'm very uh, familiar with this Hiori character now because I've been following the anime. I think I've probably said that every time we touch upon these Blue Reflection updates and whatnot. So like, I think Hiori is a cool character, but I think like there's some other characters in that anime that I like better. But like this, this sequel to the first game of Blue Reflection, it's like has become this weird Frankenstein's monster of like, oh, we'll have the protagonist of the first game come on over. We'll have this protagonist of the up to be released gotcha game uh, or mobile game here, and now to uh, and now the protagonist of the currently running anime in this game. And the the common running theme behind all these protagonists is that they have amnesia, they've lost their memories. So like this. The the sequel's gonna be weird because I don't know if it's gonna rely on like knowledge from like everything Blue Reflection now because why are all these characters here and it's just is Shiho the character from the mobile game? I think Shiho is the mobile game and then yeah um, I forgot the first game's uh, character. Uh, the the first game is uh, Hinako. Hinako, yeah. So it's kind of a weird thing that this has become it, like sort of uh, like was, a blue reflection collaboration sequel. It was. It's also kind of weird. Like when they first announced this, they they announced it the, like the anime was sort of announced first, but they kind of announced the pro game project as like a three part, you know, like compilation or whatever. It's got the anime, it's got the mobile game, and it's got the console game. And then they they went out of their way to say like you actually don't need to like play one to understand the other you can play them and or you know you can experience them individually but now it's like but actually in the game it's got the first protagonist the new protagonist the the anime protagonist and the gotcha protagonist all in one game so it's kind of like okay uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, of course you won't need to need to know anything else it's like ah all right i still need to play blue reflection because I, I i am actually interested in this new one because um, Rise of Two is so good, and it seems like this one's been in the oven for a decent amount of time, as far as Gus is concerned. So it might be good. The first game is really unpolished, but it, it's got potential. I, and I said it many times, but I'm looking forward to the sequel. Actually, <laughs> another one of those October releases. Podcast. Oh, sorry, November for us. Yes, Rise of Two is actually unironically really good. One of my favorite games this year. Changing tact, we have a couple other updates for a game that I actually played a little bit of the beta of this uh, this last week. I'm talking about New World. So New World is a game that has been delayed many times. I think three in total and four once four. you include what I'm about to introduce. Yeah. Uh, so it had its big, it had a stress test like last year where some people could play publicly. And then it had its big like a week long beta event uh, leading into the first week of August. And I played a little bit of it. Because, you know, I feel like we're kind of in a space where there's a lot of fervor, a lot of appetite for a new MMO. And New World, I think, is kind of landing at the right time. And we're also in a place where Amazon sort of really needs a hit after 
a couple of the blunders that they've had. Uh, to to not you know belay the the news point, it has been delayed again. It was originally supposed to launch at the end of August, and now it is launching at the end of September. It's moving from August thirty first to September twenty eighth, which to I'm me I actually kind of like. How confident are you that you're going to make that September twenty eighth date? I'm pretty confident. Um, okay. I actually think that this is kind of, in a way, I feel like this is actually appropriate where they're actually treating the beta event like a beta event where they're taking the feedback and saying, okay, let's take the time to correct what we got, the issues that we saw, you know, the the concerns that the the players have voiced rather than just being a, like a glorified demo where there's like, all right, now come back in a month and we'll have, and like, no, they're actually taking feedback and going to take a month to apply what they saw. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Do you get the carrier and, safe data from the beta to the re- retail game? No, which I think is, again, kind of a smart idea where it's not just like early access. It's not just uh, Head Start or whatever other MMOs or whatever Sega is calling it nowadays, where they always give you access to their pre-orders three or four days early. Um, my impression of the beta, I don't want to get too in the weeds just because maybe we'll have a better platform to talk about it once the game actually launches, is that there was some pre-release criticism about how new world was originally kind of marketed as this pvp survival-esque you know sandboxy mmo kind of like a harken days of your boomer mmos that we brought up earlier uh, and then they kind of changed tact and they brought on a few different people and they said no we're actually going to do the theme parky stuff we're going to do pve we're going to do dungeons we're going to make it so you don't have to engage in open world pvp if you don't want to and a lot of people that were really looking for that like Dark Age of Camelot or that, those old school MMOs that had like, that big PvP focus felt a little bit spurned. Uh, they're like, we don't need another theme parky fantasy MMO. We've got enough. Like, I don't that that's that appetite is being satiated, I guess. Um, but I after playing the beta, I still think there's enough. I never played any of those older PvP focused MMOs. Uh, but when I played the beta here, I still do feel like this game is a pvp mmo at its heart so it has pve storylines it has quests it'll t- the the game will kind of you know breadcrumb you like you should go to this location and do this thing and talk to this person and there is there are quests and there are storylines and things like that but it's not delivered in a way that's all too exciting it's all in very like very rote very basic sort of mmo quest design the type that you kind of criticize blankly and you think that most games have moved beyond but this game hasn't very much go to this location and collect five MacGuffins or defeat 10 zombies or whatever, and then come back and get your reward. Uh, but one thing that the beta did do well is that any part of the map, which is segmented into like different towns and different forts, can be controlled by player-owned guilds. And these guilds will align themselves with specific factions. So there is this, even if you're not partaking in the PvP at all, if you flag yourself as being PvP off, I don't want to deal with that, I don't want to be griefed, you will still, when you go into a town, be told who owns it, whether they're levying like taxes on it, whether like how long they've owned it, uh, whether they, they could also like go the other direction and give you benefits for doing business in their town or whatever. So you will still engage with this sort of like player economy, player kingdoms, even if you're not like deliberately taking part in that yourself. And one of the, the this this is the one thing I want to highlight because I think is the most interesting thing is that for completing quests and doing objectives in New World, you earn currency, you earn gold, like you would in any RPG, right? But there are no traders, there are no merchants, there's nothing you can do that you can even like dump off like gear that you pick up that you don't want to sell. There's no place to sell that. Uh, you have to sell to other players on the trading post if you want. And if you have, let's say you have a thousand gold and you want to spend it, the game is encouraging you to spend it on your guild. 
is because there are no merchants. You don't need to hoard the gold for your own personal gear or whatever. You want to say, I want to help this guild upgrade this fort or this town because they could become benefit to me or it could help, you know, prevent against attack from a, from a, from a neighboring faction. So that's the sort of thing that I think this game could do well, which I think the only downside of that is that if you want to play this, like a, so many MMOs these days, try to say, oh, no, don't worry, you can play it single player. You know, you don't have to engage with other people if you don't want to. It will give you NPC allies if you ever need them. Well, they, and this game is basically saying, if you want to have the full experience, you're going to have to make some friends. You're going to have to talk to other people in this multiplayer online game. So I feel like it's, there's a space for it. I guess that's kind of my thesis here is that it's it's doing something a bit different. It's doing something where it's like, yeah, we're going to we're going to have a focus on PVP, even though we know that some people are going to be turned off for that. We're going to make it where you have to collaborate with other players, even though some people don't want to experience that. They just want single player experience or a game that's conveniently to, to play single player. So if there's anything I'm excited about for New World, I'm excited for it occupying kind of that niche that right now I don't think has been served. So. There. Yeah, I'm really interested to see. Yeah, I'm just to see like the what the how successful that game will be. Um, it, it looks very like like player driven economy, and that's like something that like not a lot of modern. Uh, well, if MMOs are to release anymore these days, um, this yeah. is not a lot of something you don't see much. This is maybe a little bit more vain, but since a lot of like popular MMOs are several years old now, I was watching Brian play this, and it looks really good. Like, yeah. Yeah, you know, obviously, I, 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 I kind of had the same experience with New Genesis, where it's like, wow, this yeah. game looks really nice. It's it's amazing what can happen when you play a game that wasn't originally developed in 2011 or 2012. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my last anecdote, this is a short one, I promise, is that I did join a Discord server in the beta for like a player guild, and it's just crazy to see like people pinging like, we need defenders at Fort whatever, like bring your blah blah blah, like oh, or we cool. need we need we need to do people to do quests in this town because. Mm we noticed that this faction is encroaching. Like there's actually wow. like kind of that live, like living world sort of stuff where it's uh -huh. not just you, you get gear, you do dungeons, you grind up your progression tier and it's, it's, it's a different experience. So I hope they nail that. And I hope I hope they find its community. Go ahead. Yeah. And that's like marrying like modern technologies like discord now with uh, uh, that framework of what MMOs used to be back then. So now you actually just have like those, easy to read things instead of like going through a TeamSpeak server or Skype, you know, or whatnot, or an MIRC channel. And you can actually set up like raid times. And I don't mean like PVE raid boss raids, but like this is when we get people online to do our PVP, you know, raid raids. Like that's what that's what raid used to mean in some older games is that that's yeah. when you got your guild online to go to go fight the other guild. So I hope it finds its audience. Uh, we also have news about the, this is just a small little update from EA that the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, this is according to the conference call of the end of their Q1 2022 earnings for the fiscal year, uh, it did sell above expectations. That's good. I just hope that this means that EA continuously finds a space for these single-player RPGs and we're kind of out of the mire of everything having to be an online service game. Obviously, we have the Mass Effect 4 tease. Hopefully that if the if the legendary edition did well for them, hopefully that means they give future Mass Effect projects the uh, the space, the funding, the budget that they deserve. So I wonder about what I'm really interested to see like what the framework of that new Dead Space or uh, remake reboot is going to be like because I think that'll be that'll serve as a good indicator of like how they'll now treat single player games. Yeah, it, it really does seem like if we're being uh, if we're being optimistic that they've kind of found that you know thanks to Jedi Fallen Order, thanks to the Mass Effect Legendary Edition that. These games can be 
<laughs> economically viable. It sounds silly to say, like, of course it can be. But uh, we were at that space where before it seemed like they might not have a future, at least not under the EA label. We see that Jedi Fallen Order has got its sequel underway. We've got the uh, Dead Space reboot, and we've got Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Despite has how little we've seen of them having projects still in the oven, it's a good sign that the Legendary Edition has impressed the uh, the EA's bottom line. We originally talked about this game. Was it early this year or late last year? It looks like it was late last year. Level fives, Megaton Musashi, and yes, level five. They still exist. So. <laughs> They they revealed this co-op giant robot action RPG late last year at Tokyo Game Show, and that was the last we heard of it. Never got any like follow-up marketing. Never got a formal Western announcement. Uh, and it did show up again just this week, and it has a release date now in Japan. So Megaton Musashi will be releasing in Japan on November 11th. Unfortunately, it seems like as for now, and maybe for the future it's this is japanese exclusive no western localization no english release as far as you can tell and with level five's struggles in the last couple of years i don't know how likely it is to expect one um i don't know if maybe josh has looked in this is something that seems like it i, I read the word giant robot in the title i'm like oh that's a josh thing so i don't know if this is something you've kept your if you're kept your eyes on at all or if it's something that's kind of i don't know it, it, in. the the TGS gameplay for it, I was kind of, it looked early last year when they showed off gameplay clips, but then the new trailer that came out, that came out to release, uh, announce the release date, it looked a little bit tightened up. It's very much in the same vein of like, um, oh, what the fuck was that PS2 game called? Was it Brad? It was like a, it was like a cartoonish ro robot game where like it was very uh, versatile with like, you know, the parts that you put on that robot to go head-to-head -head against another robot. I think it was like called Rad or something right, like that, but I can't remember. It's This is like in a similar vein where it's very customizable, what Armored Core fans like would like to tinker with, like all the legs, arms, the chassis, the head, and whatnot, and different thrusters. Like It's definitely aiming for that very customizable giant robot mecha market, And but the, the gameplay seems very cartoonish, very, I don't know if simple is the right word, because I don't know what like the mission objectives and the story is like uh but it it might have potential i'm not sure I, I think the character designs are really cool one of them has like a cool afro um and it's it's very tar marketed towards a younger audience uh like maybe like younger teen maybe uh audience because level five uh, this is still one of the few that likes to do that this obviously with the yokai watch and inazuma 11 and whatnot um so I'm keeping an eye on it. I don't know if I'll import it. Uh, there's already a lot of games coming out this year, but if I hear really good things from people who decide to pick up this game, maybe I will. Uh, I know that it's also going to have a TV anime airing um, starting October. So maybe if I like give that a shot and that's really good, maybe. I don't know. Uh, it's it's definitely it's something brand new from Level 5. Uh, uh, Level 5, a name I haven't heard since uh, 98. As one person said, but uh, you know, so we'll see. Uh, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to it to see like how its top people receive it. I, I'm keeping an eye on it. It looks really arcadey, and it looks yeah. like like some some of these uh, mecha games like Armored Core like get kind of really grim, dark, and serious. Where this just looks kind of just like fun. Didn't Level Five make bank with the Nino Kuni mobile game? 
I don't know how much they actually made out of it because I obviously the publisher uh, the publishing arm did with uh, I think it was Netmarble. I don't know how much they actually raked in like from that Neo Kuni mobile game because they they're the ones who licensed it out to Netmarble to like use the IP. I don't know if they were actually the ones developing it or not, and what the what the contract uh, says between the the cut shares of the profit of that. So who knows how much are they actually quote unquote made from the somewhat surprisingly successful Nino Kuni mobile game. I guess we're not seeing them coming back anytime soon, eh? I mean, look, there, there's well, no ho- public. Ho- there, there's no. Hit yeah, there's no Western publishing partner with level five at the moment. I, I don't. I think, should mention. I should mention, like the most recent level five games we've gotten in the West. I believe last year, early last year, we got Snack World, and then like yeah. the year before that, <laughs> the year before that, we got Yokai Watch Three, and those were both after like two year localization delays like they were late they released in japan a while ago a few years ago and the publishing i think i don't know if they're the publisher but at least they did the marketing and the pr was nintendo because there was like those were nintendo platform games and like nintendo's actually the one that like sent out the the announcement the, the press releases the information like here's the date and everything it was all through nintendo so i don't know if they were technically the publisher it gets a little bit weird sometimes but like the mo- the most recent level five games we've gotten in the West, like Nintendo at least has kind of had their you know arm on it for sure. Yeah, so but like who is behind the Nino Kuni two Switch version? Is that Nintendo? That's Bandai Namco. Bandai Namco. Yeah, because that's IP. Right okay. Yeah, yeah. Staying on the uh, topic of giant robots, we had introduced this game earlier as something that Josh was looking forward to in October. Super Robot Wars thirty, the game that has a surprising Western English release. Thanks to aforementioned Bandai Namco. Uh, they also introduced, we had talked about how they has a crossover and all the series that they're introducing into this game and including the original characters and the original robots. And part of that crew that they've detailed in this most recent marketing for this, I again have to hand it over to Josh here, but what they kind of shared about some of the original uh, crew and characters, not the crossover characters, but the game specific ones for Super Robot Wars 30. Yeah, so in the past entries, the past uh, ones that came to English, the the V X N T, the the there were these were kind of weird like entries to the title because they had a big focus on um, crossover anime series that were very big on battleships, and that's like uh, obviously by the series name Super Robot Wars, they always had a focus on the the robots and the crossover uh, from other anime. It's always about the robots, and these ones they had a big focus on like. The battleships taking the main stage as well so in v you had the uh, space battleship yamato in x i think they did um nadia and in t they did um, um captain harlock and uh so th- in this one in uh with super wars 30 they actually have uh, a game original not it not from an, another anime that um they had this cool looking blue and gold battleship and i i kite uh put up the translation in uh, in our site and uh, from his translation uh, i think it's i don't know how to pronounce this it's like dre strager i totally mispronounced that i don't know how it's actually spelled uh, uh, i was gonna give it an attempt and i was like uh that that looks about how i would guess Dristragir. i don't know okay sure and so um man <laughs> This is this was cool because you know it's 
obviously the battleships in these like passages were like really really awesome to to fiddle around with but i feel like i i mentioned this at least once a week now because there's a certain voice actress that always keeps popping up in things that i like and i'm like cool awesome so uh in they they showed off new characters that uh, like the crew members that will uh pilot this uh or you know pilot pilots a new battleship um one of them is Mitsuba Grey Valley she's the captain of this battleship and she's voiced by Sayori Hiyami and you know what I, <laughs> you know how it is it's just it's just like that it's we talked about her when we were talking about Genshin Impact uh, a few weeks back because she's the voice actress of Ayaka then you know probably other games uh, that we mentioned and just i don't know she's everywhere she's cool I, uh, she has a really great voice i'm really excited that she's in this game she's it's not her first super about wars entry she's been in past ones uh but it's you know i was excited they showed off more of like the tactical mission select systems so it's kind of getting into the weeds now um but they've already showed this off in the, the announcement trailer where instead of like following uh, a linear story route where you're just going to stage to stage to stage story stages uh, you actually have more agency over how you wanna um, progress because you'll have an overview of like a globe uh, interface, and then you you can actually like say, hey, I want to go to this region and t- tackle this mission next, instead of having to be strung along uh, a linear uh, story stage progression and whatnot. And then you know they shut off more of the already previously announced uh, enemies and mechs at the at the announcement trailer and showing off more of what they can do. So it's not it's not like the biggest like update for the game, but it's cool to see that's you know still going along. It's gonna be released on October twenty eighth, same day as Undernaught. So you know, sacrifices have to be made one way or another on my end. And then you also put in one final note here. This about, is like I'm the, glad yeah. we I, yeah. yeah, I'm glad that we touched on uh being in the uh the soup of other gotcha games, Joe. <laughs> but uh you mentioned something here about Fake Grand Order, which is, I guess, experiencing its sixth anniversary. Give me the context of what happened yeah. in Famitsu Wasn't there regarding some kind of flag Fake Grand Order today from Famitsu. Yeah, um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into that. So, uh, it th- this is the sixth anniversary of Fake Grand Order this year uh, in Japan. Uh, it's, I think like it, it'd be the fourth year for the English global version and whatnot. And in every time it has like this big anniversary because it's such a big, big, big mobile game still in Japan. Um, Famitsu, obviously a bit a big J- Japanese game magazine publisher over there, always has like an issue uh, to celebrate sixth anniversary, talking, g- giving a recap of like what the previous year has gone through in terms of story, in terms of events, and they always uh, have like uh, they put out surveys months before uh, to put into this issue, kind of like questions like who are your favorite characters, like uh, what what have you been like been up to lately, like what are the, what are the things you like about Fate Grand Order. Um, like what are your favorite like classes? What are your favorite sort of like um equipment you would like to you put on your characters and whatnot? It's very, you know, very um comprehensive survey of like where where the user audience is at at the moment for that game and kind of an update. So it was um it was really interesting. Uh there's there's this whole big debacle just this morning, uh, because the Famitsu came out. Uh, that Famitsu issue came out like about three to three days ago, and then it took a while for people to really dig into like what what were the survey questions because there's a lot of content in it to sift through, and one of the questions is very um, bold by Famitsu in the way they editorialized it because um, they asked about what features do 
people want in Fate Grand Order. Uh, like, what are the top features they want? And then the way they phrased it in the article uh, uh, was that, like there was uh, 9,000 uh, user responses to the sur- uh, survey question. And then Famitsu uh, phrased it as uh, people want this, uh, they have this greedy expectation to have a pity role for a five-star character. Like how we were talking about before with near Reincarnation, where you only have to... Uh, roll 200 times or with 2010 rolls to get uh, a pity so you can like choose the character that you want out of a certain banner and it's kind of a weird like characterization of like the of passionate fans like they just want you know to roll their favorite character whether for gameplay or story purposes and like you know five star characters are cool because they're very powerful they have unique animations like they they, they have unique stories and like you they're just like you know characters that you like and at the moment, Fake Grand Order has probably like the worst pity system out of like relatively to any um, gacha games. How it works is the the five star character rates are already really abysmal. You have like a one percent chance to roll a five star character, and within that one percent chance, you have about a seventy percent chance of it being the banner character. So let's say, um, let's make up a character. Let's say um, Caesar. Caesar is a banner character for um, this fake writer or the theoretical banner, and it's a five star Caesar. So if I roll and I and I get a five star like animation uh, for a five star card, the I rolled that one percent to get that five star, but has a seventy percent chance to be Caesar. So there's still a thirty percent chance that it's not Caesar on that one percent roll. Does that make sense? Yeah, so basically you have to have your coin flip the right direction twice. Isn't okay. how the pity system work would be like Okay, now I'm gonna to... go, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the pity system now. So now to get to that to engage with this pity system, it's not by how near reincarnation works as we um as you're familiar with, Brian, where like you get shards, you don't get shards. So in Fake Grand Order, there are these things that uh, characters have called noble phantasms. They're basically their ultimate attacks. And every time you roll a duplicate of a character, you feed it into you feed that duplicate uh, duplicate card into that character to power up that noble phantasm. So let's say I roll another five star Caesar, and then I'll feed that dupe into the one that I just rolled, and it'll be a uh, noble phantasm level two. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Now the noble phantasms can be, have a maximum level of five. So if I were to roll. Um, three more uh, five-star Caesars to get a maximum level, uh, uh, maximum noble phantasm level of five. I have quote unquote completed that character in terms of um, like what I can. Uh, that's you know I, I have like now completed that character as uh, its max noble phantasm level. So now every, every starting with the sixth Caesar I roll. So if I were to roll another five-star Caesar after having uh, now level five noble phantasm Caesar. Now that'll get converted into the pity currency. Now that is like what you would associate as like the shard in your reincarnation. So only after so, you complete... so it's almost like a deductible you have to pay into before you even start getting pity. It, yes, it's like playing Genshin, and you have to C six a character first before you get some pity currency to let you use the pity system. It's like for Omega whales. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's a really really bad pity system because you only start and, and basically Famitsu 
worded it as if it's greedy to ask for something a little bit more yes uh, nice <laughs> yeah to, for like because you know now that sir uh, fake android is a very old game at this point in terms of in that gotcha space in that gotcha mobile game space and like characterizing that eyes like greedy for like just wanting something better than all the than all other modern gotcha games have like kind of figured out like, hey we should have like a reasonable pity system um really really rub people the wrong way so i wonder how famitsu will respond to this or will they even um i, I, I wouldn't take back that stance i mean it's, it's scummy and you shouldn't fall for it mm-hmm yeah, it's it's it was it's kind of baffling that the like <laughs> that's how, that's the wording and the, the they put out for that's it. That's like really bad being like a sheep, you know. It's like, it, oh, it's, it, like... It, it's like putting it's also putting words into the into the lightworks as well because the, the lightworks didn't say that like and so uh, so some some subsection of people will get the wrong idea that like the lightworks is the one who said that you know, you know what I'm saying and the, the lightworks being the developer. Of fake grand order. So what they're gonna try to spin this is like it's not my wording, you know? Yeah, who knows? Who knows how they're gonna respond? They haven't responded yet because this is uh, this is such a very new development right now, and obviously it'll, get, it'll take probably some time to reach the ears of Famitsu and whatnot, whether they care or not. But I really wonder if they have to come out with a public apology about it because this is really rubbing a lot, a lot of people the wrong way because people who are still playing that game are very passionate about it. And just seeing them getting a big slap in the face like that, like after the uh, years and years. I don't think they should like put up with that system. I don't know why the fan base would like stuck up with anything that's wrong with the game. It's like, it's like you put it up with, it's like the WoW community sort of right now going on. It's like they're, the state of their game is going bad, but they put up with it. Like, why would you do this? Uh, yeah, that, that's oh. not even that's not that's not even Some just cost problems with WoW, right? Yeah. yeah, like yeah, like that is that there are a lot more problems even outside of WoW that in the bigger picture of things of like where Activision Blizzard is at at the moment, you know, and uh, with more and more developments coming out for what's been going on with them, it's yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of fucked up, really fucked up, but it's it was an interesting thing to see like just start seeing the word going around and you know it's it's unfortunate, but we'll see. Yeah, I guess we'll see how they follow up. Uh, yeah. Keep us in the know, Josh and Chow. Yeah, so the, these are really just the, these are the stories you don't really, you won't really <laughs> uh, hear them. This is what often. you come. This this is what you listen to two and a half hours of the Tetracast for to uh, <laughs> to, to, to to have us uh, argue about the difference between quadrilogy and tetralogy, and to learn about uh, Famitsu drama <laughs> regarding yeah. FGO. Yeah, I also I hate you, Chow, because he just pinged me on Discord about a really dumb collaboration that Grand Blue. Yeah, there is a very dumb collab coming. I, in. I hate you because I chuckled earlier because of that, and I was pinged before at another channel for it. And just to be, I, I hate that I become the person for Blaze Blue Alternative Dark War news because I've long dropped that game. But Grand Blue Fantasy is having a collaboration event uh, in September with it. <laughs> just but the blast. Wait, wait, what? Oh my god. <laughs> but the problem is Grand Blue doesn't have the Blaze Blue collab going in the game. They just get free crystal. It's Blaze Blue that's getting the Grand Blue stuff in their oh, game. Oh, so it's not it's not even just like it's not even they're, they're sharing characters with one another. It's just like what hey, you can have Jita, which is the female protagonist in Grand Blue in your game and then we'll just give you crystals or whatever. Yes. No, no, no <laughs> Blaze like, we, don't even, we don't even get it. Either. Okay. That's it really funny. It sounds like Arxis was like, hey. You know how we uh, developed the uh, Grand Blue Versus? Can you throw us a bone and help us with our probably not doing super hot mobile game? It's not going to save them. Dude, yeah, this is definitely like, like yeah, this is definitely Arxis is like, please fucking play our game. Just like, they're really playing the stuff to try and like save this please blue mobile game. <laughs> 
All right, oh all right, God. all right. We, we have to put a pin in this. I'm sorry. <laughs> so enough of that tangent. All right, so thank you so much for listening, all of our listeners. And I know we had a crowded group here, but I thank each and every one of you for joining us. Uh, thank you, Jess, for jumping on for the first time to talk about Neo, The World Ends With You and about the uh, new Pokemon Snap. Yeah, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to get you on uh, in the future. And that goes for all of you. So maybe not all at the same time, but we'll see how our schedules line up. Obviously, we uh, wish the best in health for uh, for you, Josh, and your family. Thank you very much. And you can always see all the news that we talked about up on our website, rpgsite.net. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash rpgsite. We're also under rpgsite for both Facebook Instagram and YouTube. We've got the uh, the video projects that uh, James has put up in the last couple of weeks, including the Great Ace Attorney and Fuga Melodies of Steel. Uh, you can join our Discord channel, uh, discord.com slash RPG site. And we were here seemingly every week with this podcast. So until you hear from us next week, take care, stay safe, and you'll hear from us next time.